0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your
2: guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on
1: Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
1: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This
3: is the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to grow healthier, happier lives And today will be no different. Today, we're talking agua, water. Don't drink the water. Specifically, lead-line toxic water. Flint, Michigan, you've heard the story. Their water is horrible. Full of lead. So much lead, apparently, uh, I think it was General Motors, was unwilling to even wash their engines out. That they were manufacturing with the water from the Flint River because it would rust out and corrode their engines. You but, can drink it, but eh, we're not going to wash you know our engines with it, Yeah, now. Go ahead, just use that water. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So, you know, you've heard about it. Um Flint, Michigan, their water is poisoning their people, and now the governor Rick Snyder's uh in, you know, deep lead poisoned water. He's in deep water. He's in trouble. He just released like two hundred and fifty pages of his of emails which show that there was a lot of passing of the ball around yes the the local government kind of wanted it handed up to the state the state didn't think it was that big of a deal even though there was the EPA the feds were saying it's pretty bad water there's an uh, some of the
0: emails there's an assistant to the governor who was uh, kind of reading all these emails briefing the governor on what was coming in he's like I'm not sure why this is our problem this yeah. seems like a city problem. They should really be dealing with this and <laughs> and then like the the health department in Detroit or Michigan was like, oh, "We don't think this is quite the 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 situation that they're trying to characterize it as. It's kind of overblown. We think this is kind of isolated. Relax, It'll be all right." Relax. Yeah. There's just a little lead in your water. And then there was a point
3: where they went, "Uh-oh." <laughs> it and started trying to address it. And then it and part of it is they I think they made an administrative decision to save some money switched their water district. They moved away from Detroit to using water from someplace else, but they couldn't – from some other area that they couldn't start for a few years. So let's just start dragging some water out of Flint River. I guess the river that probably passes by all the big manufacturing plants. Apparently. (laughs) Somehow it's uh, It's it's contaminated. And – Nineteen times more lead or something. In something
0: the the level of acidity was I, I heard something around fifteen nineteen times were just so much more acidic than the the lake that the city of Detroit gets their water from. Yeah, and so that water being so acidic out of the Flint River started eating away at the pipes, which caused them to leach lead. Lead, and that's where. You ended up
3: having the problems in the individual. Challenge, yeah. So, we are going to be speaking with Dr. Gus Wilson, who is a professor here of hydrology and environmental engineering at Brigham Young University. We're going to just ask him Are the rest of us safe? This is a big deal. I mean, there's lead pipes in probably every major city. You think of New York City, there's probably a billion tons of lead pipe running through that city. But th- there's steps that have been taken to make them safer, I guess. To... Deleachify. We'll see. <laughs> Just made up a new word there. Hey, uh, so I noticed that Ben got a haircut today. Well, it wasn't today. Yeah, he got a haircut and I noticed it today. It yeah, a I got it like ago. two days ago. Did you? Yeah. Were you here yesterday? Yeah. Were you here the day before? Mm-hmm. The Were day
5: you got it? Yeah. Did you wear a hat? No. Did you cut your hair yourself? Did you no. comb it differently two days ago? Well, it's hard to comb. It's many, totally hard to comb. How
3: many more questions? I don't know, but I just noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
5: it, it's comforting to know how much you care and how much you notice. But me. you know what?
3: When you're talent, yeah. it's hard to notice everything. Sure. You, you have so much going on over there. Especially
5: <laughs> the the lesser people.
3: Have you noticed that I'm putting up more things around me so I don't <laughs> have to look over there? <laughs> like I turn all the boards so that it's, so there's only a little gap and usually I can only see your chin. Hmm. Your chin looks great though
5: thank you thank you
3: that's so sad hey um okay we got to talk about this because this is this was the laughing issue of our family we laughed all night about this Andre Drummond set an NBA record Andre Drummond plays for the Detroit Pistons mm-hmm. but it probably has got a water problem basketball player well if he lives in Flint because <laughs> he had a really hard he broke a record but a record you don't usually want to break he on Wednesday night, he missed twenty-three free throws hmm. in his team's one hundred and twenty-three to one hundred and fifteen fourteen victory over Houston Rockets. Okay. He went thirteen for thirty-six in free throw attempts. He had thirty-six free throw attempts. That's crazy. And he missed twenty-three. Uh uh-huh. huh. Hmm. I mean, honestly, but he made thirteen. Well, that's a very positive approach. <laughs> he, that's crazy. He scored uh, 17 points, grabbed 11 rebounds. He could have scored 40 points if he had just made all of his free throws. He may need to brush up on that. Maybe take some time at practice. Well, you you, you have to because it's kind of like uh Brian Reagan, the comedian's joke about how when he would play baseball, they'd always say easy out and they'd all kind of like they'd all kind of scoot in, in on they'd scoot in on the yeah. infield. So when you're the guy that misses that many free throws, they're just going to keep fouling you. And I guess he had like three fouls against – they fouled him three times in nine seconds. Yeah, I saw that. That was, that was the, the video I saw. I didn't know about the – And, and they, I think – I can't remember how many – but he missed like almost all of them, and that brought them back really quickly. It's an easy way to get the ball back. Totally. They used to do that to Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal, they called it Hack-A-Shaq.
0: Hack-A-Shaq. And he would just get physically beat upon. But they, they let it go because he was so big, so it didn't really look like it was doing anything to him.
3: I'm sure he's a great guy. But you know what he shoots? 35% free throw shooter. Yeah. He's a target. Like seriously? He's the- Honestly? I kid you not? My mom. <laughs> my mom could hit better than that. It's a free shot. You're she just... can't even lift her arms above her shoulders. Yeah.
0: It, a lot of times it becomes mental.
3: Yeah, it totally does. Where you're, you're told you
0: can see that you're not good, you hear that you're not good, and so you're not oh, good. Oh, it's
3: so sad. But um, but again, I feel so bad for the millionaire that <laughs> gets to be that bad <laughs> That's at the free thing. throw line.
0: You get paid for something and you're that bad at he it.
3: He must be really good at the rest of the stuff. Mm. I don't even know what position he plays. I think he plays forward. Yeah.
0: Possibly. That's the problem. He's probably good at dunking the ball. But he's, I will... he's good really close to the basket.
3: <laughs> but I'll guarantee you it's the water. Don't I, think? I don't see the guy living in Flint. I mean, imagine the lead. Hmm. You just, your arms would feel heavy. Maybe it doesn't work that way. We'll no. ask the hydraulist. Yeah, we'll ask The Dr. Gus Wilson. Hey, uh, anything going on in the rest of the world we need to worry about? There are.
0: Speaking of Flint, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder apologized for the Flint water crisis Tuesday night in his State of the State address. Now he is speaking out again and taking responsibility for the water contamination that has left Flint's 100,000 residents without easy access to clean water. He had this to say on CBS News last night. We don't want people to believe it's safe. Extensive testing is going on. It has been going on for some time, and we are seeing improvements in the water supply, but we don't want people to believe it's appropriate to drink at this point in time, and that's why I'm proud to have the National Guard out there working hard. So he doesn't want people to think it's safe. Err on the side of extreme caution. Not safe. Filter your water, drink water bottles, that kind of thing. Just don't, don't assume it's safe. Then the, the person doing the interview asks him, so what are the current tests of The water, is it clean? And he goes, well, we don't want people to think it's safe. And he goes, can you answer the question? Do you have the current test? He's like, well, you know. Okay. It's not safe. It's not safe.
3: By the way, when they made this big announcement to switch the water, they toasted it with water from the river.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, while that was going on, Crazy. 88 Detroit schools were closed Wednesday as teachers protested the abysmal conditions ranging from broken furnaces to maggot-infested toilets Oh, wow! inside their schools. The school system is more than half a billion dollars in debt. So on top of that, the governor's dealing with the Flint water problems and, it's- and
3: the Detroit schools
0: their 88 schools are closed yeah they they show there was one point where they had pictures of mushrooms that were growing in a classroom and not on purpose it wasn't some science experiment it was out of like a crack in the wall
3: Uh, see this is where the infrastructure is becoming a huge
0: deal so bad problems up there in michigan um over the something to watch on friday what if you're not on the east coast this might be kind of a spectator type sport for the weekend if you're in the east, it might not be that entertaining. But a predicted blizzard isn't expected to hit Washington, D.C. until Friday. Oh, man. But area roads are already a mess. About an inch of snow fell in the region on Wednesday evening, resulting in traffic delays and at least 163 accidents. A trooper who was responding to a crash in northern Virginia, Virginia was taken to a hospital with minor injuries after he was hit by a vehicle that swerved to avoid one that was merging. Uh. Even vehicles in President Obama's motorcade were seen sliding into curbs, uh, according to NBC News. Meteorologists now say an approaching and potentially crippling winter storm could drop at least two feet of snow on DC, Baltimore, Philadelphia, on up the east coast oh, coming they don't up on Friday. So well. they had less than an inch of snow.
3: Yeah. Shuts the whole it shuts the government down.
0: The region was shut down. The people abandoned cars on the freeway. And now Yeesh. and then and then of course you wake up for the morning mm-hmm. commute and all those cars are still out I'm on the freeway. You,
3: if ISIS wants to take over this government, get your blizzard gear on. Yeah. Because we don't know how to handle that. If they give, oh, a, that's tough. If there's some sort
0: of weather machine, they they take over. Man, so good luck to the East Coast. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. The uh, GOP 1996 nominee for president. Remember who that was? 1996 was um, mm-hmm. Senator Bob Dole. Well, Bob Dole. He always talking to third person. Bob Dole says <laughs>
1: uh,
0: he he is worried that Ted Cruz might get the nod at in 2016, and he thinks Donald Trump could be the only candidate who can stop him. Bob. I came see it's the theme song Bob Dole tells the New York Times that he questions Cruz's allegiance to the party and he believes the GOP will suffer cataclysmic losses in state and congressional races if Cruz is on the ticket he goes, I don't know how he's going to deal with Congress, the former Senator Maj- Senate Majority Leader says. Nobody likes him. Trump, however, could probably work with Congress because he's got the right personality. He's what? kind of a deal maker. Dole says, Dole tells the Times that he strongly supports Jeb Bush, also likes Marco Rubio and Chris Christie. But Trump seems to be the only candidate strong enough to stop Cruz. Hillary Clinton would be a pretty easy target in the general election if the GOP has the right candidate. But she will win in a waltz. If the opposition is Cruz, he warns.
3: So it really he's not he's not so pro-Trump. He's just really anti cruz He's kind of it's like he's just that was a Cruz missile.
0: Yeah, there you go. He's settling with the fact that Trump has a lead and he might
3: end up being the guy. But someone needs to stop Cruz. You know what? What a weird endorsement. I wholeheartedly (laughs) do not endorse Ted Cruz. I do endorse Jeb Bush, who right now doesn't have a chance, and uh, Trump is bad, but I do not endorse Cruz. And there's a lot of talk about how people in Washington don't like Ted Cruz.
0: That is There is so an interview out there of a former college roommate. He goes, everyone hated that guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, Trump's that's an interesting thing because Trump got Palin, Governor Palin, and the no vote against Cruz from Bob Dole, which is almost an endorsement. He's almost got two endorsements. I just, I when I
0: was reading that, I'm like, oh, he's really, really against Cruz here. That this is
3: amazing. Is yeah.
0: The Buffalo Bills NFL football team promoted Catherine Smith to be their special teams quality control cool. coach, making her the first full time female member of an NFL coaching staff.
3: Now, quality control. You mean that's but of special teams quality control? What does that mean?
0: Uh, what it says is she will. Uh, is she'll, she will be a uh, personal assistant. Her new role, she will assist the special teams coordinators. And and,
3: and maybe, yeah, do all their stats and their numbers. And. Yeah.
0: So she's on staff. That's way cool. There's a, 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 I think she was a part-time uh, uh, linebackers coach for the Arizona Cardinals.
3: Oh, that's right.
0: Cardinals. So they haven't, I don't know if she's on the full-time staff, but they, they, they had her in there too. So they're, they're finding that there are people who are very skilled, who know what they're doing, and they uh-huh. happen to be female.
3: That so, is the weirdest thing. Yeah. That's Great. And Seriously. the San
0: Antonio Spurs, they have an assistant coach who's a female. who You'll see her really? sitting kind of on the, behind the bench there, but she's on staff and she helps cool. out quite a bit. So uh, Maybe
3: they could teach Drummond how
0: to shoot yeah, free throw. Maybe. Maybe she can help. Also, big news yesterday. What? Disney announced that it has pushed back the release of Star Wars Episode Eight from May 26th of 2017 yeah. to December 15th of 2017. Why? Well, come on! I know. So instead... Uh, So it says the new date will place its release only a few days before the release of Avatar 2. And instead, Star uh, Star Wars Disney will release the new Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales in May of
3: 2017. Interesting. It sounds like they want
0: a big hitter every six months. Looks like it. And I think they probably looked at it and went, you know, we did pretty well with that Star Wars movie around Christmas. Maybe that'll (laughs) work again. Did you see? (laughs) The next one there,
3: too. Who's the villain in Star Wars? Ky, uh, Kylo. Kylo. I already forgot. The guy with the Darth yeah, Vader yeah, yeah, like yeah. mask. Darth
0: he, Vader. No, he's grandson. It's his grandson. Yeah. Did you see the spoiler? If you haven't seen the movie, it's your fault. It's been oh, out for a while. Yeah, my bad. It's made a uh, billion dollars. Come did, on.
3: Did you see the um, on YouTube? Kylo Ren. The unco- uh, the undercover boss episode. Yes. Yeah, from Saturday Night Live. With Kylo Life. Ren, yeah, he's he not- was the boss. <laughs> But he went undercover. He's walking around the
0: Death Star, and he gets mad, and he'll choke somebody, and they go, we get it. You're Kylo Ren. We understand. And
3: they all knew it. It's hilarious. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. Kylo Ren, undercover boss. Look at it. Look it up on YouTube. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Gus Williams will be joining us here from Brigham Young University, and he's going to he's going to help us understand what's going on in the Flint, Michigan, uh, you know, fiasco with the water. Um, the Poisoning the kids. The lead levels are up with the children um, in that area. And we're also going to talk about your water and what's going on in your local area. Is it something you need to worry about? We'll give you the tools, the information you need to live healthier and uh, hopefully longer. Stick with us, folks. We're talking water when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, when you think of the state of Michigan, it's it's probably not you know your first thought to think, hey, that's a state that needs water. It's the home of five great lakes. It has more than its share of fresh water. However, Flint, Michigan, located just seventy miles from the shore of these great lakes, is unable to get clean water for their citizens. Two years ago, the city switched its water source in an effort to save money. However, the switch has become not only a financial mistake, but a decision that is threatening the health of Flint's residents. And after researchers uh, from Virginia Tech confirmed that the water was contaminated with iron um, and lead, the president has issued a state of emergency. Joining us today is Dr. Gus Williams, Associate Professor of Environmental Engineering and Hydrology at Brigham Young University. And he's here to help us understand what is going on with Flint's Water Crisis. Dr. Gus Wilson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
6: Oh, glad to be here.
3: Great to have you. Talk to us about this. You're a hydrologist, and um, you understand, okay, and the rest of us probably don't quite get it, but in a state where there's so much water, like Michigan, what is going on with Flint where they're not able to get uh, a healthy source of water?
6: Oh, actually, the, the problem isn't the water source itself. In fact, uh, one of the issues is the new water source was cleaner than the, the previous water. Oh, really? Yeah. What's actually happening is uh, there are old pipes and water supply systems in the city. The city's quite old.
3: So it's the water pipes that are, uh, le- I guess, leaching out the lead.
6: Yeah. And so the old water was uh, from Detroit was relatively hard water. So you'd get hard water scales. So stuff would come out of the water and coat the inside of the pipes. mm the new water is relatively soft water and also has some chlorine in it, which causes iron to rust. And so this is, was rusting the old iron pipes, and a lot of the old pipes have lead solder and copper and releasing lead and copper into the water.
3: Mm. That is – it's tragic. So they go from, a, a, I guess, a lesser source to a better source of water, and yet the water – it's the pipe delivery system that it, that is really creating the, the health risks.
6: Yeah, in fact, uh, back in October, they switched back to Detroit water, but they're still seeing elevated lead levels because of once the pipes kind of, the scale got cleaned off and the pipes started to corrode, the, the lead is still being released into the water.
3: So when you look at it, it's an infrastructure problem now, right? It's not even a, it's not a water source problem, it's an infrastructure.
6: Yeah, it's an infrastructure problem, and it's probably a problem that existed prior to this, but not at this level, and so people weren't noticing. Hmm. In fact, on the the Flint City website right now, they post uh, the results of lead tests in homes. And to date, they've posted 124 uh, different sites across the city. And some of these are apartment buildings where they've maybe tested six kitchens at one address. Mm -hmm. And at that one address, you can have lead levels from non-detects to about three times over the EPA limit. And that's probably due to a number of factors like What's the actual pipes? Has somebody renovated one apartment right. versus another? Has the water in one apartment been sitting there for seven days and only turned on occasionally versus one that's used all the time so the, the water stays cleaner? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a, an aging infrastructure problem is the actual
3: problem. Holy cow. Because And maybe this is why the governor looks like a deer in the headlights on this because you – it's one thing to say we got to go change our water source and and get our source cleaned up. It's another thing to have to change out the pipes in whatever 80% of your state.
6: Yeah, and there's two different the city of Flint itself is working with the EPA. They're looking at uh essentially the delivery lines, so the lines from the mains to the houses. And there are a number of old ones that have that contain lead and that would be the city's responsibility once it hits the the property line, the, the meter, then the plumbing inside the houses are the, are the housing responsible. Right. So it's not even clear who, you know, who has the,
3: the problem. And so so the city would have to take care of their work. The, the citizenry is going to have to eventually take care of their homes or the owners of these apartment complexes are going to have to refit their pipes. Um, boy, that's going to really upset the people of Michigan when they find out it's It's a pipe problem that they're now going to have to pay for.
6: Yeah, and like I said, this has probably been a problem over a longer period of time, and people just didn't notice. When they switched the water, the corrosion went way up, and so it started actually rusting the iron pipes enough that the water turned brown. Hmm. People started testing the water. And in fact, just to show you, out of those posted results, I went through and did a quick summary out of the 124 that they have listed, only 6% are above the 8. 8 of the 124 are above the actual EPA lead level. So this isn't like every single house is bad. This is some houses have lead pipes, some don't. Some of the water has been sitting there for a while, some haven't. Even things like recent construction where the pipes have been um, disturbed and so the old scale has been knocked off. Yeah then the lead's going to leach more into the water. So that house could have a much more significant lead problem than the one right next door that was built at the
3: same time. Unbelievable. Again, the complexity of that. And you can almost, you would sense that maybe some of uh, these older apartment buildings, maybe where there might be more minorities, there might be, you know, less, uh, or older pipes, older facilities. So, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden it's not an equal opportunity problem.
6: No. This is, uh, I would guess, without knowing any details, but based on other locations, uh, predominantly lower-income areas are are usually hardest hit. And what also usually goes along with things like this, uh, lead's primarily a problem for young children. It, It affects neurological development and other things. And usually where you have these old lead pipes and things like that, you Typically, have lead paint. Also,
3: that's true, huh?
6: And so, usually, when you find children exposed to lead, there's usually multiple lead sources. And um, so, there's, this is a kind of a known problem. And this one, uh, some things happened that made it really bad for a while and brought it to everyone's attention.
3: Do you do you know why, um, Doctor Wilson? Why why was the federal government brought in when? or, I mean, the state government brought in and the federal government when it sounds like some of this, I, I guess it is because of infrastructure.
6: Oh, what brought this in is the, uh, the, the Drinking Water Act. So cities are required to provide water that meets certain standards, and there's a list of standards, and one of those is lead and copper. By the way, some of these uh, locations are also above for copper. And uh, so as these tests showed that the drinking water was above the limits for lead... That's an EPA responsibility that's usually delegated to the states. So the State Environmental Quality Office would oversee that, but if they're not doing what they're supposed to be, then the EPA comes in. So this became so well-known that the state first got involved, and then it very quickly brought the national EPA in.
3: Wow. That's
6: the legal quite
3: the EPAs involved okay yeah that makes sense doesn't it and and really in your role as an environmental engineering and hydrology um, professor I mean is this is this going is this bigger than Flint Michigan is this a national problem
6: yeah in fact I would guess um, essentially lead was not outlawed in plumbing until the mid to late 80s and so a lot of homes probably even here in Utah have copper pipes with lead solder. Mm. Now most of our water is very hard, we get water scale and things like that, so it's not an issue, it doesn't leach out, but it it could happen, for example, if you have well water that's a relatively soft water or have high chlorides or other things that can cause your pipes to corrode. Um, So it's an issue anywhere that you have older plumbing
3: systems. Mm. Wow. Interesting. This is so enlightening. Um, Again, we're speaking here with Dr. Gus Williams from Brigham Young University, an environmental engineering and hydrology professor, uh, basically walking us through what we would say is the Flint, Michigan water problem, but it really is more the Flint, Michigan lead pipe infrastructure problem. (laughs) And (laughs) it's more complicated, isn't it, Gus?
6: Yeah. The 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 nice thing about this is the the lead levels they've seen, uh, the water's still okay for bathing and showering and things like that. You just don't want to ingest it. You don't want to drink it or use it for cooking. Hmm. And uh, boiling doesn't remove lead. Like a lot of contaminated water, you can boil it because you're worried about you know bacteria and living things. But what does remove lead are things like Brita filters or Pure filters. Oh. You have to look at the label because uh, they'll say if it does or not. And, in fact, one of the things that the city of Flint's doing, in addition to providing bottled water, is they're uh, providing filters to um, their citizens. In fact, if you go on to their website, it'll tell you how many of each. They're, they've just went out and bought some commercial brands. looks like they're handing out Britas and Pures and Zero Pitchers. And it actually shows you how many have been given out so far.
3: How how interesting. So a simple Brita filter, and everyone's probably heard of those and those commercials um, just that. So if anybody's out there in listening land and they're worried that they might have lead pipes, then you could filter through a Brita filter or a, just make sure it actually filters for lead.
6: Yeah. Just make sure whichever filter you
3: Whichever brand.
6: And, and those are things like there's, you know, filters that just go on pitchers in your fridge or you can actually install them just on the sink that you use for cooking water and things like that.
3: Hmm. Let's do this. Uh, let's take a, a break. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Gus Williams from Brigham Young University, uh, again, environmental engineer and hydrologist. He's walking us through the, your your own potential water problems, along with trying to better understand what's going on in Flint, Michigan. We'll take a break, come back. I'd love to explore more um, about just our own water sources. Uh, I know it used to be a big issue of, cl- or of fluoride in the water. And um, other issues like that. Want to find out just a state of the water, and uh, what you should be doing to make sure you're you're drinking cleaner, healthier water. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. State of Michigan, man, I mean, think of those lakes. How many lakes do they have in Michigan? Well, uh, apparently the, the lakes and the water in the lakes are not the problem. When you hear about the Flint, Michigan, lead problem in their water, according to our expert, Dr. Gus Williams here from Brigham Young University, the problem is more of a pipe problem than a It is a water source problem, and uh, Dr. Gus Williams is joining us. He is an associate professor of environmental engineering and hydrology at Brigham Young University, and uh, we appreciate you being back with us, Gus. Thanks for joining us.
6: Uh, Pleasure to be here.
3: I, I just was handed another article that says, according to the emails that they got from the governor, Rick Snyder, it'll take 15 years and $60 million to replace Flint's water lines. That's so, not surprising. <laughs> that's a big, that's a big ticket, which is why, like you're saying, they're going to the EPA and going to the Feds to say we need infrastructure help.
6: Yeah. Now there are some other things they can do in the interim. Yeah. First off, I don't want to minimize this problem. Lead is very toxic. In fact, it's right. uh, such a problem that uh, when you, we do risk assessments on cleanup sites, the EPA doesn't even give risk guidelines because essentially they notice effects in children. As low as we can measure lead in the blood.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. And, so,
6: and it really is uh, really affects young children uh, strongly. But some of the other things they can do, um, for example, if your water is very soft or corrosive or chloride, at the treatment plants they can add chemicals that essentially uh, stop the pipe from corroding. Typically, they're phosphates or, or calcium or things like that. Um, that basically. This is not exactly what happens, but you think of it as hard water. They put a scale around the inside of the pipe. Yeah. But the problem is that's kind of a a patch over a a problem that's always there. You know, if you knock the pipe, if your water changed a little, if the, the house isn't occupied for two months and the water sits in the pipe for two months and gradually leaches the lead out and then you turn the water back on. But there are some interim things they can do to help reduce the amount of lead that might be released. But, yeah, the, the real only solution is to replace the lead pipes.
3: Yeah, and, again, I guess that takes money. W- what happens to, to kind of, uh, you know, I'm thinking of everyone else around the country that might be living in, maybe in a city that's a little older that is known to have lead pipes. Are there ways to just do your own testing on lead?
6: Yeah, there. and I should have looked at that a little before. But uh, uh, lead testing is uh, relatively uh, simple to do, um, You and you can get home test kits. Um, and uh, there's also a number of companies where you can actually take a a sample of tap water, and and you need to follow some procedures, you know, let it run for a certain amount of time and temperature and, you know, things like that, and send the the samples in and and get tested for lead and copper and and arsenic and some of the other uh, potential contaminants.
3: What other issues are... are, um... People running into with their water supply. I know when I was growing up, there was big, big debates about putting fluoride in the water and chlorine. Some water tasted too chlorinated. Um, any other issues that that people out there could be watching for, paying attention to?
6: Um, many of those issues, um, th- they're trade offs essentially. As you look at um, community health and, and social health. Or, there are trade-offs between different things. For example, chlorine is an, an interesting one. Uh, there are no issues with chlorine besides just taste and odor. Um, everyone's aware of that. Um, there are some chlorine reacts with some things that create some toxic chemicals, and we continue to put chlorine in. Uh, and the, And there's specific reasons for that. There's other things you could use to disinfect the water at the treatment plant, ozone, ultraviolet light, things like that that have no taste and odor and don't create these. But the problem is, as soon as the water leaves the treatment plant, it could be infected again. Hmm. And we specifically put the amount of chlorine in so it reaches the last house on the block at levels sufficient to kill anything that might get in the pipes. For example, if you have a a leak in the pipe and low pressure one day that would suck water back in, if somebody has an old garden hose that doesn't have a uh, a backflow restrictor on it, and the water levels goes down and the hose is in a you know, a pile of junk and it sucks water back up into the distribution system. Hmm. And so chlorine's specifically there to stop those uh, bacteria and other infections from traveling through the through the water system.
3: So really it's yeah, that's the trade off, you know. Yeah, the risk trade-off or is there is some taste. Much,
6: there is some low level risks from chlorine, but if you look at the risks from other infections they're orders of magnitude higher, and so we choose to use the chlorine. Okay. Um, uh, fluoride is uh, similar. Um, fluoride at high levels can cause some adverse effects. Uh, fluoride is, at low levels is very, very efficient at stopping dental caries, uh, cavities. And so uh, some cities add fluoride to the water uh, specifically as a public health.
3: Hmm.
6: Kind of like adding calcium, right. orange juice and things Makes like that.
3: Makes you wonder what that what all the dentists think of that. <laughs> You're ruining their business. <laughs>
6: I would guess that most dentists are in favor. That's why they provide fluoride treatments when you go to
3: the dentist. That's right, exactly. What what about infrastructure? Because that, in a way, seems like the elephant in the room that maybe the government's not talking about. We've got a lot of work we're going to have to do. And it seems like, as an environmental engineer, many of these things are going to cause environmental problems.
6: They are, and they do. And, again, what we get into is a resource allocation problem we have all these issues, and all of them are very large and take time and money. And so the question is, what do we fix first? Yeah. And, and, so, and so you look at things, you know, and you try to prioritize, you know, for the amount spent, how do we make the most people the safest? Are there interim things? Like, rather than ripping up the entire water distribution system and going in and pulling the plumbing out of every apartment building, Could we install filters? You know, that's not the best approach, but maybe that allows us to not spend all that money, you know, doing that right now. But then put in strict zoning and other regulations that as you're upgrading the infrastructure in a normal way, you know, new road construction, okay, if you're going to tear up the street anyway, let's pull out all the pipes, you know, new construction. Make sure that all new construction meets the standards to provide
3: good water and, and safety. Hmm. And I guess I guess vigilant, be vigilant. As if I'm just an average citizen, is there anything else that, like, you would recommend to the average family around the country um, to to just make sure that their water source is safe and protected? Uh,
6: water is actually one of the things we we watch um, very closely, and I would guess one of the reasons that the Virginia I uh, can't remember if it was Virginia Tech or Virginia that uh, found this issue. Is the EPA, because of the Clean Water Act, um, public water supplies are tested twice a week and it's done on a statistical basis and at a large number of sites. And so they're watched very closely. But as I talked about the results, these lead homes are scattered around and they're probably in poor neighbors neighborhoods and they may or may not have been one of those sites that they were testing water. And so the city and the state were saying, no, our water tests are showing it's fine. So, in general, public water supplies are very safe. Hmm. In fact, much more regulated and safe than bottled water. Bottled water is under FDA control, so it can the plant can be tested once every two years, but it usually isn't. Wow. Public water supplies are under EPA control. They're tested twice a week.
3: That's interesting because they're going to be bringing in <laughs> cases of bottled water that is <laughs> yeah. maybe less you know, well, safe or at least less get tested. Things
6: from, the, from the plastics, another thing we won't go into that. <laughs> but if you're if you are worried there, there are home test kits and there are companies that do this especially you know if you're in a an older neighborhood or if you're on well water or part you know we have a lot of especially here in Utah we have a lot of uh smaller developments and, and communities that may not be on a public water supply there might right. be a little you know there's on a shared well or an individual well and uh we don't have too much of a lead problem, but we do have areas of the state where there are some higher arsenic levels and some things like that. And so there are potentials in Utah for, besides the infrastructure problem, to actually have some problems with the water supply itself.
3: Yeah. Well, no, that's great insight. You've given us, I think, a lot to think about and actually feel good about, Um, and yet we could be vigilant, and I think that's helpful. Um, we appreciate you. Again, Dr. Gus Williams here from Brigham Young University. Thanks for joining us and giving us uh, the inside scoop. Oh, you're
6: welcome, and I enjoyed
3: it. Thank you. Take care.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Man, interesting stuff. And again, you just sit there and you think, to to be a lower-income family already fighting the uphill battle, and you happen to have moved in the apartment building with lead pipes and lead paint, and now your child is suffering. It's tragic. It's sad. We've got to, you know, do what we can. Interesting, interesting learnings. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, Come back, uh, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We're helping you hopefully find the good and the healthy in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, <laughs> oh, man, I'm learning so much today. Um, Flint, Michigan's water, you've heard all about it. But it's its really an interesting dilemma. We've been talking about infrastructure forever, and, uh, you know, from from the overpasses and the freeway systems to the airports that were brought up by uh vice president biden you know it's a it's not our infrastructure's falling apart and now the lead pipes in some of these older cities these older towns they're now leaching out lead and harming our children there's no level of lead that we can tolerate with our children they just flat out can't tolerate it so you know watch out um as we as we kind of go on to another topic now, I always, I always like to um, I just can't stop laughing about this. I always I, I like to help everybody on the show, not just the healthy, not just those with good water or bad water. I like to help even the criminals, and we we do a segment we call the Bad Boys segment, which is a segment in that we we try to help. The the common criminal that if you're going to commit a crime, you got to watch out how you commit the crime because you got to be smart. and And here's an example where we just want to help the common criminal. Some thieves attempting uh, to siphon gas from the tank of a bus got a nasty surprise when they accidentally tapped the sewage tank of the bus. (laughs) <laughs> a visiting tour bus was found with a cap beside it on the ground, showing that the would-be perpetrators managed to remove it, but police in uh, Laverton, or Western Australia, say that when the thieves or thief tried to siphon the fuel from the tank, they got a mouthful of sewage instead. Ugh. Laverton police sergeant uh uh, Heath Sudar told Yahoo that we can infer that they beat a very hasty retreat with a somewhat bitter taste in their mouth. He added that police officers have absolutely zero interest in recovering the stolen goods. <laughs> oh. Oh! That is the worst. Have you ever siphoned gas, Benjamin?
5: I've siphoned water, but not gas.
3: You ought to try gas. Yeah, it's a different experience. It's (laughs) fantastic.
5: The fumes just, like, spark
3: up. I – you know, the hard thing about siphoning is usually you don't do it so much that you get really good at it. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, you get a mouthful. I wouldn't – that's just horrible to have the sewage tank. I mean, if you're going to siphon, make sure you have a flashlight. If it says sewage, keep the lid on. If it says – if it's the gas tank, but then – I can't tell you. I've done it before, where I've siphoned gas into my mouth, accidentally, um, trying to siphon it and trying to get the vacuum started. And then I, I had a friend do it like three times in a row. And then I realized it's just better to pay for your gas. We weren't, we weren't stealing gas. We were borrowing gas from our lawnmower.
5: Oh, okay. Were you going to return it later?
3: I was going to. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I was gonna put it in my car. Back in the day, when I was just a kid, hey, um, we're here to help, folks. We're here to help, and uh, so whether it's bad water or just bad fuel tastes, um, you got you got to be careful. Here's another crazy story. Again, I'm not sure it's just a smart criminal here. A man being sought by police in Ohio was unhappy with the mug shot that they took. I mean, that's bad because. Let's say you just were chased by cops, tackled, um, maybe tased. Remember. Tase it. If you've been tased, you're not going to look good. So when you, go get your, when you go get your mug shot taken, you, you know, your hair's on the end. Your eyes are a little crossed. You've lost some eyebrows or whatever. Um, so uh, apparently this guy didn't like his mug shot, so he sent the authorities a better one. Donald A. Chip Pugh, forty-five, is wanted for failure to appear in multiple cases, including arson and vandalism. The Lima Police Department stated in a Facebook post. Police posted a mugshot of Pew on their Facebook page, but the suspect didn't think it was the most representative of himself. So to rectify the situation, Pew texted police a new selfie with the caption, Here's a better photo than that horrible one. That's <laughs> People are just not smart. Police posted the new photo on Facebook with the caption We thank Pew for being helpful, but now we would appreciate if he would come speak to us at the police station about his charges. Um and since then, by the way, Pew has been arrested. So if you're going to be if don't give him a mugshot, I mean don't give him a better picture of you, because it just seems like you'd be more likely to be caught. You know? Call me old fashioned. But a good criminal, like a Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, they just keep running. They wouldn't like give them a better shot. You want to, you want to, you might grow a mustache. You might change the color of your hair. You might shave your head like Ben did. (sighs) There's a lot of things you can do. This is the show where we give you the information you need. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of shows wouldn't get into these stories.
5: Lesson learned. Grow a mustache if you're ever going to rob a bank.
3: That's right. I want to help people. I don't care. I just want to help everybody. Anyway, um, that's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. You got to stick with us. Next hour, we're going to have more tools, more ideas to help you live longer and happier. We're going to be talking about how to personalize learning, how to make sure that uh, you're, you're, you're learning at your rate, your speed, your way. And it's a really interesting um, topic about the new age of education and learning. Stick with us, folks. Uh, We'll be right back with more stuff to help you uh, be happier and healthier. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call
1: the show at
0: 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to uh, bring you the latest uh, information you need to live a healthier life and a happier life. Uh, Just give you this little update, if you happen to live near Washington, D.C. or the East Coast, I guess. Baltimore, New York, that whole region. I'd head to Florida. Yeah, You're going to get hit with maybe two feet of of snow on Friday. Now, last time we had this big scare, nothing happened.
0: That's been my experience. When it's a storm, it's hard to predict exactly what it's going to do. When it's a hurricane... It's more of a formed body. Right. That, that, uh, weather there's better science, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so you can watch it where like around here in the Intermountain West, they'll, uh, they'll say a storm's coming, it's going to be huge, and then nothing happens. Yeah. You gear up, they canceled wah, wah, school wah, a couple wah. years ago, and then everyone went outside and played because it was a nice day. Right. And so there's times where you need to pay attention, other times, eh. It is fun when the news ramps up the snowpocalypse coverage. Yeah, I love happens.
3: getting excited for a snowpocalypse. But then I hate the disappointment when it doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't want anyone to die. No.
0: And then there's the times where, oh, it's going to snow, and then there's a you know, foot and a half of snow outside. <laughs> this is a big deal. So, so the, the D.C. area got about an inch of snow. And, and it, shut it down. turned into bumper cars on the roads because apparently it was raining and then it froze. And if ISIS died.
3: had a clue, that's when you attack. Once it snows in D.C., you can own the town.
0: When I was a kid. I would watch the GI Joe cartoon. Oh yeah, and there was one plot line. I use that very yeah, yeah loosely. One it's, story. Yeah. What they the Cobra, the evil organization bent on world conquest. I remember Cobra. They created a weather machine, ah, uh. and they could just go you know snow and they'd make it snow in Jamaica or something. Just <laughs> crazy stuff. And if someone could come up with that, you could really, really grind society to a halt and take over.
3: See, but that's always been the case. If you could control weather, you got it. Yeah. That's why Al Gore went yeah. to <laughs> global climate, warming climate world because yeah. he was trying to create. He saw an opening for world <laughs> conquest. He hasn't really followed through well. He but. hasn't gotten over the whole Bush Gore thing.
0: No, that probably really Poor ego guy. ego slapped him around.
3: Hey, um, speaking of interesting leaders that have now got a bad reputation, not that Gore does, uh, Putin. Yes. Putin has, has, is maybe being pegged as a murderer. A murderer. Which was kind of assumed
0: when the, when the, the, the whole situation began. There's a, a, a man that kind of defected. Yeah. Not defected, but left Russia and he ends up in London. Alexander Litvinenko. Litinenko. I was going to skip that part but go ahead. That's a name. Nice try. Just to get he a guy. he ended up showing up at a hospital in London with radiation poisoning. But not the kind that you get by touching things yeah. or that'll occur in everyday life, the kind you have to ingest and comes from very specific places.
1: Mm.
3: Like Russia. Like Russian spice that have been So the, sent the assumption to kill you. was
0: he was assassinated because he made some very, very harsh accusations against Vladimir Putin. That apparently were
3: then erased. The sources were erased and –
0: There were videos of
3: certain things. They were erased. And and that, it's a, it was – yeah, it was a very And his harsh. claim that
0: he had seen the videos and then knew that they were destroyed. And that information doesn't sit well with uh, – Vladimir Putin, who prides himself on how manly and strong, right. and here's my image of being a strong leader, and you have someone speaking ill. So the the claim and the accusation is he sent Vladimir Putin sent people to kill this guy in London.
3: But who's now? So who's kind of validating this? Is is the is it the UK government? What who, yeah. who is it? Yeah, the UK government investigated to make
0: sure that there wasn't any other. I, you know, any other possibilities, and they feel pretty strongly that Vladimir Putin had a guy assassinated mm. with uh, what do they call it—it's a pl- uh, form of plutonium, a form of radiation. Yeah. But it's a, it's a liquid type. Uh, you have to put it in, and you have to ingest it. So I yeah. think maybe they doctored a drink. Mm. somehow like some tea or something, and he was able to drink that. And as he ingested it, then at that point it's 100% fatal and it burns you from inside out.
3: Holy cow. But you can't do this – you can't get the same effect from Diet Coke. Let's just get that clear. No.
0: Okay. It has to be an
3: added I always effect. want to check because every time we tell a story about a drink being doctored like that, right. everyone's like, whoa. Well, Matt's drinking Diet Coke Sounds like you're going to die, Matt. So uh, that's another okay. interesting Man. thing happening. Well, I just want to get really clear because sometimes we – we talk about you know Putin on his high horse with his shirt yes, off and yes. I just wanted him to know we think he's great. <laughs> I really think he's great. Just and stay more on the, I mean honestly. Stay on the safe side. Go Russia. <laughs> just trying to be nice to everybody. I don't want any problems. It's hugging day. It is, it's hugging day. You're supposed to give people a hug. There's nothing more reassuring than a comforting cuddle. That's what I was telling you. No one said cuddle. No, said it right there.
0: No, no, no,
3: no, no. Well, it's not cuddle day.
0: No, that's a different thing. I know, but. This is hug day. See, we've had discussions in the office and hugs turn to cuddles and, mm -hmm. you know, you take things a step too far. HR has come down and they have warned you of going a step too far.
3: Yeah, don't cuddle. It's just hug day.
0: Yeah. Keep it, keep it. Cuddle bad at work. Hug,
3: okay. Side there's, hug, There's different ideal. kinds
0: of hugs. Mm-hmm. If you're a really good friend with someone, there's that kind of hug. Then there's like the bro hug.
3: Yeah, the bro hug with yeah. like two slaps on the back.
0: Yeah, you give like a handshake and yeah. the other arm around the back, hey, how you doing? It's a bro hug.
3: Yeah. Tase it.
0: The
5: tase hug, that's when uh, you talk,
0: that's when Matt comes in to give you a hug. You have a taser just to
5: keep it keep it real. <laughs> just to make sure everything stays... Mm-hmm. Clean right. within its
3: boundaries. Yes, copacetic. There are office decorum, and you need to keep that. You know, um, it's also Granola Bar Day. It's kind so of a if weird. you don't want to give a hug, give a granola bar. It's a good treat. It really is at work the safer option. Right. I'd go with option two, Matt. Should I go with uh, uh, option one of hugging my coworkers, or go with option two of a granola bar? I'd go with two.
0: Yeah, it's the safer option. <laughs>
3: It will also keep you out of HR. No disciplinary counsels of any kind. Yeah, you don't need any at problems. At work. They don't have to review don't your need behavior. need problems. See, that's called learning, by the way. You got to learn. And uh, our next guest in just a minute, Kathleen McClaskey, will be joining us. She's the co-founder, chief executive officer of Personalized Learning and co-author of Make Learning Personal. She's going to talk about how you can actually... Uh, you got to customize your, your learning approach your, um, and for your children too. You got to make it fit their style, their way, their temperament. You know, you got to make it it's fit It's not them. necessarily one size fits all. No, which is hard because, you know, our school systems kind of need to do that to, you know, we got to make the sausage. You got to push everything in yeah. and turn the handle and then supposedly educated people come out. That's the plan. But some people don't want to be made into sausage. It's a bad metaphor.
0: Right. But it also illustrates it well. Yeah, it does.
3: Making the sausage. (laughs) Um Anything going on in the headlines that we need to worry about, Terry?
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. During his State of the State address Tuesday, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder said that he would release emails from 2014 and 2015 related to the Flint water crisis. And on Wednesday, more than 270 pages of emails and notices are posted on his website. Emails show that September 26, 2015, Snyder's chief of staff, Dennis Muchmore accused Flint officials of taking the very sensitive issue of children's exposure to lead and trying to turn it into a political football, claiming that the departments are underestimating the impacts on population and particularly trying to shift responsibility to the state. Interesting. So he kind of was criticizing the city for saying this is the state's fault. This isn't our problem. This is the city's problem. that was problem. early on in the debate. That was uh, September 26th of last year. Yeah. So they, they, at that point they kind of knew that the lead uh, issue was uh, in the water was an issue and the state was still denying any sort of responsibility Hmm. or connection to it. Uh, October 1st, Flint residents were told to avoid drink the drinking water, but a press release on October 2nd, 2015 from the department of uh, environmental quality said the water was safe to drink. So even, even in October of 2015, they were getting conflicting messages. Uh, president Obama was in Detroit on Wednesday and addressed the Flint water crisis. It's also an indication of
6: sometimes we downplay the role that an effective government has to play in protecting the public health and safety of people. And
0: clearly the system here broke down. It broke down and the, uh, the governor may have to pay the ultimate price. He hasn't said he wants to stay in office and deal yeah. with this problem, but people are calling for his job.
3: Well, and I, and I get that. Um, but even Hillary Clinton, you know, jumped on him. But meanwhile, too, it just, it just dawned on me, you've got Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of the city of Chicago, that also has a major – has she mentioned that? I don't believe she has addressed it's the it. the weirdest thing.
0: She's, she's talked about the violence in Chicago. I know. We're playing
3: politics here. Not
0: talked about the mayor and his, uh, yeah. his response. I mean the governor
3: has got to figure this out and yes. solve the problem. And like we learned last hour, it's a bigger problem than water. Yeah, it's infrastructure.
0: It's up and down the, the whole water system yeah, there in it's the city. Yeah, pipes, folks.
3: A Republican lawmaker from
0: South Carolina wants to require registration for professional journalists in his state. Uh, State Representative Mike Pitts uh, introduced Tuesday a bill calling the uh, called the South Carolina Responsible Journalism Registry Law. According to the uh, local papers, the bill would create requirements for people wanting to work as journalists for a media outlet, and also before that outlet could hire anyone for a reporting position. Pitts' what? law would give the South Carolina Secretary of State authority over responsible journalism registry that would also establish the proper qualifications. For a journalist, much like how lawyers and doctors are overseen by a board, the proposed law comes as Pitt's, his response to what he feels is unfair media coverage of gun owners.
3: No. Yeah. Now, no. no. Can't do that. Journalism
0: is protected by yeah. the Constitution. It's right? the
3: fourth branch of government.
0: So the same response that respond. this is all because of the way gun owners are being represented in the media and their response to you want to, you know, up uh, registration background checks, that kind of thing. Right. And they're like, well, no, this is protected. And like, Well, you want to register journalists
3: and journalism is a protected. And you don't and you activity. want to have some control over the what journalists can say and who which they would are be and not freedom of speech. Right.
0: So I don't think that's going too far, but it, it's out there. You know
3: what they need to do? They need to send that up to Rancher Palooza. Okay. Let them work that out. <laughs>
0: Let him take, it, take that one on. The Obama administration will unveil new visa requirements for European visitors who hold dual nationality with Iran, Iraq, Sudan, or Syria, or who have traveled to any of those countries within the last five years, the AP reports, citing officials and congressional aides involved in the discussions. The new rules, which could be introduced as early as Thursday, are designed to make it more difficult for Europeans who are involved with the ISIS terror group to enter the United States. Hmm so they're adjusting the entry requirements good as they look yes. through your your visas so
3: now if if you you can't say you're on the team Isis anymore right you that'll can not don't
0: come in with the t T-shirt. and a-
3: Are you with ISIS?
0: <laughs> nope. Astronomers have found new evidence of an icy planet at the far edge of our solar system, huh? and they're calling it Planet 9 <gasps> because apparently they have no creative name for oh, it at the moment. let's get a name. Author Michael Brown and some other guy, that I'm not going to say his name, describe the planet as 5 to 10 times bigger than Earth. Dwarf planets and other small objects reportedly have orbits that are influenced by the gravity of Planet 9, wow. which they call a massive... Pew uh, i I'm not going to say that one. I might get in trouble. Wow, it's a big planet, and that's a big word. The pair of researchers initially set out to prove that Planet Nine didn't exist, but were surprised by their own findings. The <laughs> instruments in uh, stripping Pluto of its planetary the 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 same guy that found this planet was one of the guys that stripped Pluto of its planetary designation.
3: Oh, yeah, that was so demeaning.
0: Yeah, so he's the guy that pl- Pluto's not a planet, but there's some phantom mass. Well, are we going to bring Nine. Planet
3: Nine into our into our list of our favorite planets? We'll see. I need they, it needs a name. Ben take a note. Let's make a name up uh for planet nine. Okay. Anybody out there in Listener9, if you have any ideas, go to our Twitter page at Dr. Matt Show.
5: A Greek or do, Roman God. Yeah, so do we want to limit it to Greek or Roman? Or no, I expand would, it.
3: I'd go with anything except a number. Okay. So Planet Nine. Planet Nine does not work. I want a new name and I want to name it. Uh, and it can't be, it can't be like a person's name. Okay. Because I just my like my kids will say name it Jimmy. It's just yeah. not a good planet name.
5: Right. But Pluto is a person's name. It's a god's name, right?
3: Yeah, you can use you can use a god. It's also, okay. It's
5: also a dog's name. Don't
0: forget the dog. It's
3: also a dog.
5: True. Okay.
0: And finally, the Los Angeles Rams. Yes. We're the St. Louis Rams. Right. Moving to a new stadium that does not exist. Yeah, a $2 billion-ish L- stadium. They're going to play in the L.A. Coliseum. Okay. They announced Wednesday that during the first two days of the team's season ticket campaign, they have received over 45,000 deposits. Now, a deposit is a $100 security that secures priority opportunity to purchase tickets. So you pay $100 mm-hmm. for the opportunity... later on to purchase season tickets. That's nice. They got 45,000 people. So it's like a prepay for a shot.
3: It's like a lotto. Yeah. You you buy your place in line, essentially. um,
0: Lots of excitement
3: for football. That's way exciting, and it's exciting for the Rams, and I think it'd be really exciting if the NFL would then go back and pay the bill. They could do that. For the poor folks in St. Louis that now have a $150 million bill. Whoops. Not to be negative... I'm so happy for the NFL, a little sad for St. Louis that has stuck with the bell. Um, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Kathleen McClaskey will be joining us. She has a website and a program called Personalized Learning where uh, she's going to teach us how to go about personalizing the learning for your children, your students. How do you get in to know what they need instead of just assuming one size fits all in our education system We got to understand the learner. Stick with us, folks. Interesting topic about uh, making your learning personal. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever heard of personalized learning? Well, you know, a lot of politicians are starting to talk about it. But, uh, you know, they talk about a lot of things. One interesting little side note is you may have heard that Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, and his wife, um, Priscilla Chan, have they're putting and setting aside $45 billion into a fund and one of the things they want to use the fund for is to um, help kind of grow and endorse this personalized education program or concept and to better define it. And so we were interested in finding out more about it and uh, who who better to teach us about it than the person that's pretty much written the book on it, Making Learning Personal. Her name is uh, Kathleen McClaskey. She's the co-founder and chief executive officer of Personalized Learning, LLC, and the co-author of the book, Making Learning Personal. She joins us now, uh, live from New Hampshire, to walk us through what is personalized learning. Ms. McClaskey, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
2: Uh, well, thank you for inviting me uh, to the show.
3: You bet. Honored to have you. Talk to us about, um, explain to us what, what is this personalized learning, and, um, and why is it so important to our kids?
2: Well, first of all, let me say that you know, we have schools that have been working in the realm of that one-size-fits-all. And personalized learning, um, and we've sort of lost the fact that the focus really needs to be on the learner. So let me say that personalized learning always starts with the learner, mm. not the curriculum, not the technology, not the building. So yeah. uh, that's first and foremost. Um, personalized learning is where we give learners voice and choice in how they learn. Um, And we want them to be able to own and drive their own learning in the end because we've sort of taken that ownership away from kids um, with all the standardized testing that we happen to do and all the scripted environments in which teachers work in. Uh, We also want them to be able to develop the skills uh, around uh, choosing using tools to support their learning um, because lots of kids have you know, real challenges in their learning, and we need to empower them on how to use those tools to remove barriers. And we also want them to be able to self-direct their learning, because what is the purpose of education unless we develop learners that are independent and self-directed in their learning? Oh,
3: I love those ideas. Just as I see my teenagers move on into college, and they look at me like a deer in the headlights thinking, um, now what? How do I, how do I go about managing my own learning?
2: Yeah, so you know, so the thing is, is that we've um, developed um, a personal learner profile to really give the learner voice um, on how they learn best. Okay? We want kids to be able to articulate their strengths and challenges, their preferences and needs, and we want to help them uh, with that information to develop a personal learning plan that has goals around skills, um, goals around uh, college and career, Also, citizenship goals and real personal goals, uh, because uh, every kid has an interest, a passion, or uh, wants to be somebody someday. And we want to also give them those experiences, um, you know, early on so that they can try those things out uh, when they're at the high school level, even the middle school level. Mm. Um, And we want kids to be able to know where they want to go, because, you know, we waste a a lot of money in college in educating children that have no idea what they want to do.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yet and yet they've been le- leaving clues their entire life for what they've been wanting to do, but it's like no one's picking up on those clues.
2: Exactly. So the thing is, um, that whole idea of that personal learner profile and the plan, that's where that, that relationship builds between teacher and learners. Um, every kid has a story, but rarely do they get to tell it. And when we really ask learners about who they are as a learner, we really say to them, uh, we care about you. Um, and but you need to sort of continue and build that relationship with learners. They have to feel like they are cared for uh,
3: in the classroom,
2: and they're just not there just to be the recipients of your lecture or your instruction. Um, hmm.
3: Because and, Kathleen, yeah. not to interrupt, but when you when you when we when we show them that we're going to listen and that we mm-hmm. care for their opinion, right. it seems like simultaneously we're, we're not abandoning them, but we're also saying to them, you you inevitably are responsible for this right. and we will coach you mentor you be there with you guide you but eventually this is you this is yours and i think how empowering to start getting that in their heads that they are an active part of their own future success
2: absolutely uh and you know i will tell you that personalized learning is not really isolated uh, it's really done in a lot of different places and Uh, It's very, very empowering to the learner. Um, And they become far more interested in in learning and more engaged in learning when you actually give them that ownership. Uh, Today, you know, we have a lot of passive. There's lots of data that tells us how passive children are and how unengaged they are as time goes on, especially through high school. And that's the whole the, – the crux of this is that kids should be more engaged as they uh, grow older, uh, I mean, in school, and n- not less engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, there, and we also need to – and that's a whole piece around that ownership to learning. Um, that's extremely important for kids.
3: Is this so, – now, when you say all of this, Kathleen, I sit here and I think, okay, how – I mean, I I love the idea of this happening with me and my child, and I would love the schools to know how to do it and um, my colleges and universities around me to know how to do it. But the the education system is this huge behemoth machine that – is it capable of doing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know,
2: sometimes schools – we've seen entire school districts decide to do this. Hmm. We've seen uh, individual schools, but I will tell you, because I follow educational policy as well, is that uh, under the new reauthorization um, is that there's going to be opportunity to really create these more innovative environments. There's going to be a lot more flexibility in how we assess learners um, in the process. And it's going to give schools, because the new law really, really turns things over back to the local school districts and states. Uh, so it's not going to be federally dictated like it has been over the last, um, I want to say, 14 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, so I think that we're going to see a real change up. And we're also going to see more around what's called competency-based learning uh, versus grades. Um, that's a big change. And, and, and now the law says. You know, that's opened it up completely to states. A lot of states have already adopted what's called competencies because what does a grade really say to you? Right. It doesn't really tell you what yeah. it really can do. So competencies is something that you're going to hear more and more of in, uh, for all your listeners in your schools that you should be asking about that. So it's, uh, it's a, a
3: competency then would be they have, the, they have the ability, they have the competency to, lit, to read at a ninth grade level.
2: Uh, right, so, but the thing is there's a whole set of skills we're talking about competencies around skills
3: yeah uh, comprehension uh yeah, okay, great, yeah, yeah.
2: exactly, which is so yeah, want...
3: exactly, now you know that they can do all of the skills right and have and possess the competency, not just that they got a's
2: but correct, so the thing is let me just say to you is that there are some states that are moved to competency based diplomas, and one of them is the state of Maine, hmm. so I think in two thousand and eighteen it'll be a competency-based diploma. So the question often comes up, well, what about higher ed? Are they going to buy yeah. into...
3: Will Harvard take that? Yeah. Oh,
2: yes, sure. So the thing is, is that there's been, especially here in New England, we really have seen uh, colleges and universities really align to that, um, that whole concept of competency-based diplomas. And the, in fact, you know, uh, if it they don't, I mean, um, higher ed, by the way, is, is struggling as well. Um, so uh they they sort of need to move uh to 12 for
3: sure yeah you know what i can totally i can sense that because um you know it seemed like higher ed was turning into a for profit you know learning experience and now a lot of people are carrying student debt don't have jobs many might not even they have diplomas without competencies and um all of a sudden you know we this personalized learning is important i also notice my own kids have learned stuff online, they've learned stuff on YouTube, and they actually have acquired competencies without ever learning it at school. I have a son that right. can put together <laughs> videos, he can do all of this incredible high-tech stuff, and then he goes yeah. to his tech class at school, and the guy teaching the tech class doesn't know half of what he knows, exactly. but he could have passed the competency off years ago.
2: Right, exactly. So the thing is, kids actually, on these competencies, kids are moving at their own pace. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and they're energized, and then they yeah. run into the wall of the bureaucracy of education that says, "No, you've got to all you've got to have this competency before we can look at any of these other ones."
2: Right. So the thing is, is that you I mean um, there's data systems to keep an eye on what kids are doing as far as competencies are concerned, uh, and you're absolutely right, by the way, that kids are learning really anywhere, anytime, and. Uh, and sometimes schools becoming totally irrelevant so like if you really want to learn I mean something in advance I mean there's what's called MOOCs you know yeah. um, open uh, course software you know coursework that's available through all sorts of universities and, um, and now actually some of those MOOCs are actually being recognized for actual credits that you could transfer to a university if you wanted to so kids actually learning in a lot of other different places because the technology allows you – there really is no special time to learn. You don't have to learn within a, mm-hmm. a, a building anymore. You can learn really anytime, anywhere. And yeah. that's what's really what – you know, educate. It's the Children learn what they want to learn uh, in the end, uh, and they actually can seek that out. So that's the difference between, you know, today versus even 10 years ago. Yeah, I know. So things are changing pretty rapidly with the technology.
3: We're growing up, aren't we, Kathleen? And hopefully, I mean, yeah, this, and hopefully the systems will keep up.
2: I, you know, we're really looking forward to the next d- decade um, in which all of this is going to change. Um, you know, to give you an idea about those competencies, well, over 30 states really actually are moving in that direction if they haven't done that already. Mm. Um, so it's also called performance-based learning. It's performance-based, competency-based, just so that your listeners know that, that they hear those terminologies, that that's what those mean. And, um, and they do uh, are, are recognized by many colleges and universities uh, now because they have to survive. <laughs> because why would you go to college and pay all that money to get a piece of your education online and actually get it through MOOCs?
3: Oh, exactly. No, exactly. Um, oh, Interesting stuff. Kathleen, take. let's take a break, uh, and, and uh, we'll be right back. I want to continue this discussion, find out really what more we can be doing as parents, what's the parent's role, what's the teacher's role, and, and just learn more um, from your, your great work on uh, personalized learning and your book, Making Learning Personal. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show helping you today learn how to learn. We'll be right back. everybody to the matt townsend show today we're talking about personalized learning and uh we've got kathleen McClaskey on the phone she's the author and co-author of the book making learning personal um also the co-founder and chief executive officer of personalized learning Um, interesting learning i think for all of us more than 30 years of experience in using technology in the classroom uh again kathleen McClaskey, thank you so much for being with us
2: well you're welcome my just been really enjoying doing this show with you. This, this is
3: such an important topic, and I, I am so. I, I guess I'm, I, I'm excited because I, <laughs> I think everyone should be excited I, about. I mean, it. really, my kids have needed this just because I they learn differently, and it's interesting. I learn differently, um, and if you don't, if you, if you're not careful with it, then you turn people off of learning, or you impact their self esteem, or their their own drive, their own desire to own their own learning.
2: Exactly. So, um, you know, it's all about, let me just say that when you recognize and have conversations with learners about their learning, um, you're really validating them as a learner. We all learn differently, and uh, and it's okay, uh, for sure. And we really are all in it together. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, there's... A lot of um, you know kids often don't understand that some other child may learn differently, and that it's okay to learn in a different way. And um, and I think you develop a, can develop a real culture of respect among all learners when you are personalizing learning. So
3: what um, what's the downside to this? What what are the arguments against personalized learning?
2: Well, there's not a lot of arguments against it. It's just that um, some of the um, concerns that sometimes teachers have is geez, how do I do this with a whole class? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm a high school teacher, and I have four classes. And um, and so we met up with a wonderful educator a couple of months ago uh, in our course. We give a course called The Five W's of Personalized Learning. And um, he basically tried that out in his math class, really good each and every learner. Uh, and he spent the time um, understanding who, lear- who the learners were. you Right. Know? And uh, he said it made all the difference in the world, just the feedback from the kids saying, geez, you know, you know one teacher that really cares about how we learn. Um, and uh, taking the time to do that is really important. So we consult consult with lots of schools and school districts and about this, and I know how you would go about doing this. And um, one of the important things is that, you know, we have obviously a process in place on how you do this, but the thing is, take the first couple of weeks of the school year um, and really get to know who your learners are. Really invest that time, just with your learners. Um, don't think about the curriculum so much. Have those conversations and build a culture in your classroom where of respect and trust to begin with, because it, that will go miles the rest of the year. Um, if it's in the big, you know, in the middle of the year, really do take that time. And I know teachers. Bound by curriculum,
3: so you know it's interesting uh, I, as even as you're saying that i'm thinking um I'm thinking of as uh, of the typical image of a teacher is a teacher in front of a classroom, but this model is more of a teacher sitting next to a student, a learner uh,
2: yeah i mean uh, I mean it it
3: is. It's, it's almost not, like because you've got to get down like you're saying down to that learner level, you've got to find out what's in their head i mean then it right. seems like you could break people into groups. Uh, exactly. even learning groups, and then, you know, kind of go from there.
2: Yeah, so because the thing is we do learn from each other. Yeah, so right. Maybe maybe this learner likes to work in a group. Maybe mm-hmm. this child even likes to lead in a group. Um, you don't know any of those things about a child. I mean, those are the things that's really important when you're doing that profile. And just remember that the teacher's not doing that profile. It's really the learners that are doing that. Hmm. And really that's where that conversation begins, um, and knowing who they are and how they learn best. And, yes, if you, have, so if you have challenges, let's sort of set some learning goals and, and, and really set some steps on achieving a goal on things that you may find difficult. And what the greatest thing is is that sometimes that challenge can actually turn into a strength in the end yeah. um, by doing that. But the thing is, is we need to help kids develop skills. For themselves so they can be more self directed, independent. That really is the mantra that has to sort of go on in, in a teacher's mind is that how do I help this learner to well, become more
3: independent? Imagine parent teacher conference where much of the discussion is about the learning approach of their child and what what works, what isn't working, what and I mean instead of just grades yeah. And, and grades and even goals. What if we focused on how they learn and what we're learning about how they learn and reinforcing that and then showing how to reinforce it at home, how we're going to work on it at school? Man, by exactly. the time they're out of sixth grade, yeah. they could know so much about how they approach the world.
2: Yeah, and the thing is, is that they never are ever asked about how they learn. Right. You know, isn't that strange? It's that so strange. We have schools, we never ever ask kids how they learn best. And. <laughs> and we don't we just basically jump into the curriculum and just teach away and and have no clue who the kids are in the classroom and how they learn best and you wonder why some kids you know are struggling and some kids are just you know going along uh every kid needs to be able to move okay um and achieve okay uh academic skills and um and I see this, all of this really working extremely well in public schools, and it's actually happening in a lot of public schools. Well, and it
3: might bring more peace to the teachers that – I have a sister that's a school teacher, and she's frustrated beyond belief about the inability to actually help the kids where they are because of the testing and the expectations. And she just knows she's leaving a wake of kids, and she's trying not to, but the system was – not ideal for the learner.
2: Exactly. So, you know, a lot of times people ask us, well, how do you get started and everything? So one of the important things is to bring all the stakeholders together. You know, you need to bring in parents and community. You need to bring in business. You need to bring in the learners, okay, and have a conversation about really what your vision is uh, in your school, really what you want to do there. And then you need to Really, create a set of beliefs around learning. What do we want learners to be able to do in our community? What do we want them to be able to do? And then, when you get that buy-in, then that really just sort of ignites it. You see, yeah. and then it's the real hard work, okay, in the classroom. But you know, with your you know, with your um, sister being a teacher and everything, and I, I mean, I've taught in the classroom for many. Years, is that we need to give the learning back to the learner, okay, and let them own it. You know, it's strange that we make the teacher responsible for the learning and not the kids.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It really <laughs> is. And, and man, and just seeing how it would impact my own kids, because um, yeah. eventually they're going to have to be responsible for it. Let's not yeah. wait till they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty to exactly. say, "Okay, now it's yours." Oh
2: yeah. Now it's now you're entirely responsible.
3: <laughs> of course, I've I've skewed the entire thing for the last twenty years. Now it's your turn. It's so interesting. Um, Kathleen, as we wrap up, what would you say, just as kind of the average parent out there that's listening, what could they do? I mean, to me, it seems like it'd be a great place to start with your book, but you wouldn't probably say that. But Make Learning Personal is the name of the book. But what should the rest of us do today with our children, whatever stage they're in, to kind of empower them, to get them the skills to be self-directed?
2: Well... One of the things that we definitely want to be able to do is to work with kids and setting, you know, very specific goals. I think goal setting is very important. Um, and in goal setting around, again, around learning skills, goal setting around uh, citizenship. I mean, how do I yeah. contribute to the world? Uh, goals around college and career and just working on goals and then having them saying, you know, I really want to learn how to do X. Kids will tell you that what they want to learn a lot of the times. well, how do you get there so let 's think about some action steps to get there. The whole concept of goal setting is so important for kids if you 're a parent and uh, and and getting there is 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 wonderful because the journey is incredible when you actually achieve
3: a goal mm. um, and, 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 and yeah, think of that you set a goal with your your fourth grader or third grader. And then you help them through their own initiative realize the goal. You've just taught them probably the most important lesson of life. Right. You can have a goal and you can achieve it, and right. you're doing it by third grade or second right. grade or first grade. Exactly. Yeah, powerful yeah, stuff.
2: kids want to. I mean, I, I, no matter really what background, kids really want want to be successful. They want to feel good about who they are. Uh, so um, and you know that goal setting you know certainly could be done with the teacher too and so that we have what's called a and by the way in our, i'm going to give a picture on our next book it's going to be how to personalize learning
1: hmm.
2: and it's going to be an educator's uh, field guide uh to getting started but it would be empowering for also for parents because we're going to outline the whole we're going to outline this whole concept of the personal learner profile and the personal learning plan and really get people to understand what that all means and how to do that. I love um, it. And the book is actually going to have a companion website, so
3: so um, so it's going to it's going to be loaded with tools and yeah. uh, and and everything okay, we need. Know, and
2: we actually put out um, a lot of good uh, information, and people can sign up on our site for our newsletter and our insights bulletin on personalized learning, and that would be beneficial to both parents and teachers. Um, and people find that invaluable information to learn more and more about personalized learning. No,
3: it's a great site. Again, the website's uh, personalizedlearning.com, com. Kathleen McClaskey, thank you so much for your insight. We'll be sure to have you back soon to uh, to get more skills and tools.
2: Oh, absolutely. Come uh, Invite me back when we have our new book in the fall. Yeah.
3: We'll okay. do it for sure, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Uh, keep up know. the great battle there. Honestly, let's change this thing and uh, give our kids a whole different um, set of responsibility for their own life. How cool would that be for your child to really know how they learn? That is, I'm telling you, that's a gold goldmine. Um, we'll take a break, folks. Come back, continue the discussion. On the other side of the break, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a little Coach's Corner here on learning. Uh, everybody is... We're just different, right? We're all so different. I remember vividly, uh, I guess it was probably fourth grade. Is that when you learn times tables? Probably third grade?
5: Third grade, yeah. Third
3: grade. And uh, I remember our teacher would line us all up. Two lines. And I'll never forget this. And uh, I was... We were doing times tables, and she'd then have us pretty much compete head-to-head on the times table. (laughs) um, You know, she'd flip up the cards, and you'd have to hurry and say the number. You know, know, 4 times 7, times 4, 12. And you'd have to just throw them out there. Well, I, I wasn't the fastest at times tables. I just wasn't there. So if you lost, she would then point to have you get out of line and she'd say, okay, winners, get in line. And she'd use these words, and losers to the wall. (laughs) So the losers, so I got in my head when it comes to math that I'm a loser because, yeah, I was always on the wall. I was a loser. Now. Let's do a spelling bee, not to brag. I was pretty amazing as the big guy on campus. Uh, But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. However, um, times tables, uh, I was always a loser on the wall. And so I got this idea in my head that I just don't do math. And I, I ended up then going to a private school because of my math, probably. And um, anyway, went to high school, still struggling with math. And I was taking a math class from a teacher. I'll never forget her. Mrs. Larson, wonderful, wonderful woman. And she had actually taught all of my sisters. Everyone had learned. What, what we had all learned is that we don't do math very well. And I think I was in my second year of algebra. And she, I had just messed up on a test. She asked me to take the test uh, home, study it, and she was going to let me retake the test. And I was going to study it over the weekend. And I came, I was just came home. I was depressed. I didn't want to spend the entire weekend on this stupid algebra. Oh, my heavens, that nobody's going to even use, never going to use algebra. And my mom said to me, it was a magical moment. My mom said, what is your deal? I'm like, I hate math and we're never going to need this stuff. And I'll never forget what she said. It was beautiful. She said, Matt, relax. We aren't math people. We, You're a Townsend. We don't do math. We struggle with it. We're not good at it. We're not math people. And right then I thought, oh, I'm not a math person. It's like she had diagnosed me. You've got Alzheimer's. Okay, that's my problem. No, but I'm a Townsend. We're not math people. So right then I decided, okay, I guess I don't have to do the math because I'm not a math person. And um, I went – I didn't study that weekend. And I took – I went into my class and she's like, Matt, are you ready to retake that test? And I looked at Mrs. Larson. I'll never forget this moment. I said, you know what? Um, I'm not going to take the test because I'm a Townsend and we don't do math. We're not math people. I'll never forget her look. She was looking over her glasses at me and she pushed them up with her finger and she said, I know I've I've worked with all of your sisters. I know you guys struggle doing math. And then the moment of all moments, she stuck her chubby little finger right in my chest and she said, but this Townsend right at me, this one's going to do math. And it ruined my entire day (laughs) because it was the first time I had learned that it's mine to do, that there is no disease of math. And just because you have a family that doesn't know how to do it, this teacher instilled in me that I have to learn to do it. It's my responsibility. It's mine to own. It's choice. And if we could teach that idea earlier with our children to be choosing to live their own life and lead their own education, then they will be a lifelong learner. That is, I think, the goal of personalized learning. So, uh, take that to the bank, folks. We're going to take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Somebody needs to tell Ben to leave me alone. The dude has been hugging me all morning, long.
5: Usually (sighs) I play along, but no. No, I haven't.
3: Denial. First sign of a problem. Everyone has personal space.
0: Yep. When you violate the personal space.
3: When you violate the personal
0: space, we have an answer
3: for that. HR gets involved. Tase it. Fastest way to get personal space.
0: Back off! <laughs> back off! That or a cattle prod. Now a taser is more yeah. portable,
3: but a cattle prod's equally as effective. But would you rather be tased or electrocuted by something that was meant for a human or a cattle? Well, the person would fly back against a wall, possibly
0: <laughs> fly across the room if you hit him with a cattle prod. That's,
3: see, that's so rude. I, I think you get your point across. Yes, you would. <laughs> Happy <laughs> granola bar day, too. Huh. Nutritious, yummy granola. Well,
0: mm 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 mm. tell you. Drench it in sugar and corn syrup, but
3: that's fine.
1: Mm.
0: breakfast. Then it's basically a candy bar. Yes, it is.
3: <laughs> yes, it is. But you think it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, are people still, you know, running for president? Yes. You notice I've kind of taken a
0: break from them. They're fighting back and forth. Rand Paul sent out a mailer yesterday accusing Trump of being Gollum. And then his supporter email that he sent out was uh, rife with uh, Lord of the Rings references and stuff in talking. I haven't read it, but that that was the report I saw.
3: We're calling people Gollum? Yes. How immature.
0: It can be. And then Trump keeps hitting back on Cruz and, you know, he's from Canada. And so can he actually run for president?
4: If you live by the pen, you die by the pen. And my pen has got an eraser.
0: <laughs>
3: hmm? What?
0: Which is odd.
3: I don't think pens have erasers. I've used pens with erasers. They don't work that well. Mm-mm. They're not even real pens. I mean, a real pen should not be erasable. Interesting. So they're still fighting. Yeah, and Hillary and Bernie, are they okay? Um, They seem like they're... I mean, it seems like Hillary's getting a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I know
0: I know there are groups now that are solidly Democratic groups that are sort of hitting back on Bernie Sanders because he has different opinions on a couple things and there's some infighting that way. Can't but we all just get along? It's just everyone's trying to separate their own message from everyone else and the message is really similar, right? And so you're trying to – Look, I'm 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 different than this person. This is why they're wrong. But it's just, you know, great – just very degrees of right. difference,
3: right? So it's – The neat thing is that in 10 days, we won't have to talk about Iowa very much more. Iowa. I mean we'll, we'll hear the results. Yeah. So a lot of this is about fighting for Iowa. From what – everything I've read, Iowa is
0: about organization. Yeah. If you show well – then that shows you have an organization. You can get people together. You can get people on the ground evangelizing you and getting your mm-hmm. message out. And then that shows that you have strength to move on to the next contest.
3: Then you get to New Hampshire. But
0: Iowa itself, the results end up being kind of irrelevant.
3: You know, they say Iowa picks corn, but New Hampshire picks <laughs> Like, like yesterday,
0: I, I shared the story that, that Trump's all of a sudden uh, up there talking about uh, – what, ethanol? We need to do more with ethanol and get more ethanol out there on the market. Yeah. Because he's talking to the corn producers in Iowa.
3: Right. Put more corn <laughs> juice in our, in our fuels. I'm waiting for
0: someone to stand up there with a big glass of corn syrup and just chug it down and go, I love me some corn,
3: you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Anybody want some corn syrup? <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's interesting uh, because here we sit 10 days out. Iowa gets all this attention, but then it kind of gets ignored hmm. for for four years. As one woman, I uh,
0: they have these. Uh, they go to the small towns, the candidates, and they have little town meetings, usually in a a diner or something like that. And one woman is like, "Yeah," it, it, they asked her, "Is it unfair that Iowa gets all this attention?" And this woman in this town said, "No, like New York has the ball that drops on New Year's Eve. This is what we have.
3: This is what you every four years we have this."
0: Yeah. Yeah. So she she was looking at it. Yeah, I it, it's not it's disproportionate when it comes to the coverage, but yeah, this is our thing.
3: I kind of like I really do like the idea that the those that want to be elected have to go to one state in the middle of the country and visit 99 counties. And have a bunch of sandwiches at sandwich shops. You're
0: talking towns of 500 people. I love that. And they're vital because Uh if you want to win Iowa, you need that county to vote for you.
3: It's like a filter system. So Iowa is like the filter and then you drop Donald Trump in it and he's got to be filtered through the Iowa caucus system. Yeah. And if he can make it out of there – so what I worry about are the guys that don't even compete in Iowa. They're like, I'm not even going to play Iowa. Because that's a good filter. And then New Hampshire, those are just, you know, that's just pretty, you know, moderate, smart people because they end up choosing the president a lot of times. So two, these are pretty good little filters. Then South Carolina, I think just the food trial, trail would be fantastic. How much weight do you put on? Oh, I bet so much weight. But amazing, like um, these, some of them they stay really
0: fit. I don't know. Speaking of weight, Chris Christie was hitting back on uh, Michelle Obama and her her push for healthier yeah. uh, food in school.
3: But that and kind there, of backfired. There, there was
0: some question on him, like, should he really be going after that topic? Is right. he the candidate to go after that specific topic about how it's bad to try to get kids <sighs> to eat healthy? Yeah. It just seemed like that may not be the point he himself specifically wants to chase down. He has lived the horror. Yes, he would be the cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> poor,
3: poor guy. Maybe he's got thyroid problems. Pick another topic.
0: No <laughs> one cares if you have a problem. just like, see the image, you need to pick another I know, topic. But wasn't
3: he, I think he was in a school when he did it, and yeah. he was talking to the kid, and the, but he was basically bad-mouthing that the kids are eating better. Yes, that was his message. It was F- vegetables. Oh, what do you want that for? <laughs> Let's have some pizza. Politics is really interesting. And then Bob Dole kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And Many hits were like, back on Cruz. Is he still alive?
0: <laughs> that was my thing. I'm like, "Wow, he's still there." But he's really he's down on Ted Cruz. He doesn't think Ted Cruz can go to Washington and get anything done because everyone in Washington hates him.
3: Well, right. That yeah. Well, okay. His words. And so he wasn't endorsing anybody. He was just, what's the word, unendorsing. Yeah. He was beating down Ted. He thinks Trump can be the candidate to beat Ted Cruz, but he didn't endorse Trump. He likes Jeb Bush. Let's be clear. I am not endorsing Trump. <laughs> I am telling you that Ted Cruz is cataclysmic.
0: He, thinks, he will be horrible. He thinks Trump could go to D.C. and actually negotiate a deal with somebody.
3: Oh yeah, I believe
0: and, that. And Trump has said as much, right? He's he's the greatest deal maker ever.
3: Oh, I hear of all time yeah. in the history of the world.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how he tries to to yeah. pitch himself. So,
3: well, you know, okay,
0: Bob Dole definitively not in the Ted Cruz camp.
3: So if there if there were a Christmas dinner mm. in the Cruz presidential White House, don't if you are a Bob Dole. Don't expect a, don't expect an invite. No invite for Bob Dole. Okay, well that's clear. Hmm. Uh, anything else going on in the headlines we need to worry about?
0: Yes. Uh, thanks, about correspondent. Uh, unveiled in of two, uh, 274 pages of emails released by Michigan Governor uh, Rick Snyder. Paint a picture of dismissive state leaders who deflected responsibility and ignored scientific evidence regarding the lead-poison drinking water in Flint, Michigan. Top aides reportedly scoffed at people voicing questions about the water quality anti-everything. And findings uh, reported by a concerned pediatrician were dismissed as simply data. That was the... Just data. She was concerned that kids were showing up to her office with high, higher levels of lead in ah, their blood. And just, they just a little made, data point. Don't worry about it. The emails which were handed over in the governor's effort to provide transparency show that months of complaints did not prompt action until late 2015. Mm. So instead of hiding all this, they just put it on their website and they're taking their, uh, their beatings right now. Wow! After an inch of snow uh, Wednesday night, Washington, D.C. traffic was plunged into traffic chaos by a small storm system. Wednesday's untreated roads led to icy conditions with more than 100 area accidents and drivers at a standstill for nine hours. Even pre- uh, President Obama's motorcade slid on the roads, making a typical 25-minute trip from Andrews Air Force Base to the White House an hour and 14 minutes, a second far larger storm may drop up to two feet of snow in the coming days forecasters say wow
3: what would you do in a limo for an hour and 15 minutes
0: make phone calls yeah or I'm complain because you're stuck on the road with everybody else play angry birds because i thought you guys controlled the stoplights hello does anybody know on the president's back here Oregon Governor Kate Brown on Wednesday called on federal authorities to take action against the armed group occupying the National Wildlife Refuge there. Uh-oh. Brown told reporters at a news conference she was exp- she expressed frustration over the standoff to the U.S. Department of Justice and the White House, adding that the situation is absolutely intolerable and it must be resolved immediately. Brown said she plans to ask federal officials to reimburse the state for the nearly half million dollars the occupation has already cost Oregon taxpayers. Wow. A spokeswoman for the governor said the cost includes paying for the additional law enforcement present, overtime, travel reimbursement, lodging, and meals. Because it's probably out
3: in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Wow, but this gets scary. You know, the the feds coming in. These guys want the stand. They want to. They want to take a stand. There
0: was a town hall meeting at a local uh, high school. It looked like a gymnasium where Ammon Bundy walks in. The people in the crowd are like, We agree with you. We we appreciate your concern over this issue, but go home. Yes. And one guy stood up and said, I will drive you back to Utah if you want to go home.
1: <laughs> Don't I, bring him here.
0: But he lives in, well, in Nevada, right? Okay, so yeah. Good, okay. The guy's gonna take him to Utah and kick him out the you know, he'll he'll figure his way back down to Nevada. Wow, okay. This is gonna get crazy. We'll see what happens. The U. S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has warned that hoverboard owners they warned them to have a fire extinguisher nearby while charging or using the self-balancing devices. After launching into an investigation into a series of explosions, <laughs> so now they're saying if you're going to use this toy, essentially have a fire
3: extinguisher nearby. And that sounds like fun, doesn't it? We've had a lot of friends break wrists. They like keep falling down. Base right? planning.
0: Says the investigation is currently focusing on the lack of suitable safety features required for the use of lithium ion batteries. Safety features that are in your computer and yeah. in your smartphone. So it like,
3: turns it off so it doesn't keep yep. heating and up.
0: not in this device, which is causing some of the problems with the overloads.
3: It also, though, it takes away some of the excitement. It does. I mean. Because if you don't know if this thing's going to blow. <laughs> It's
0: kind of a roulette. It's a situation. whole different game. Social media may make managing friendships logistically easier, but perhaps unsurprisingly, Facebook and the like aren't actually helping you grow your circle of true friends. Our evolutionary psychologist Robert Dunbar, this month in the Journal of Royal Society Open Science, analyzing research conducted April and May of 2015. But uh, with involving people 18 to 65, while women typically have larger social circles than men, the average number of Facebook friends among the sample was 150. Huh. But the average number of friends one can truly count in a crisis is four. So your Facebook, you have
3: 150 friends. I am so popular. But true friends, you have four. You have four. So like if you're destitute and kicked out on the street, you'll have four people show up that can help, not the 150. This number of four –
0: It says reflects one's offline numbers and is remarkably consistent across backgrounds, gender, and age.
3: Well, it seems pretty easy, right? Mom, Mm -hmm. dad, girlfriend. There's three. There's three. And then parole officer. (laughs) Or or, or what have you. Yes. Whatever your situation happens to be. The fourth could be a child. Parole officer. That's funny. I was thinking of Ben.
0: So you may have 150 friends. On yeah. Facebook, but you truly only have four. You have four friends. Four friends.
3: That's depressing. Yeah. I thought I had so many more. Whatever. Whatever. That's enough to get me down, by the way, which is a perfect segue to talk about our next guest. Our next guest will be Amy Morin, and uh, she's a psychologist and wrote a wonderful um, article about why don't companies take mental health seriously? Really, are we're not fostering good mental health in the workplace, and uh, we need to probably take it more seriously. A lot of depression comes from our work situation. She'll be walking us through some of her learnings and some of the keys to, um, to being able to take mental health more seriously uh, while you're at work. Let's focus on that for a bit. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back talking mental health and your workplace. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, an employee's mental health can impact everyone and everything at work, from productivity to job satisfaction. Issues like depression and anxiety can cost employers a lot of money. So why do so few businesses take mental health seriously? Psychologist Amy Morin has returned to the show and is here to teach us today about the relationship between workplace and staying healthy. Amy Morin, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back.
8: Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks.
3: Great to have you. Good, uh, um, great work here on this topic of good mental health in the workplace. It really, it it almost seems like um, maybe our our employment, uh, our employment or our employers aren't aren't looking at mental health as their problem. Right. It's kind of like that's kind of a personal thing. That's your issue, but it is impacting businesses incredibly.
8: Yeah, you know, that's it, exactly. I think a lot of employers don't want to be intrusive or they think, you know, it's a very private, confidential thing, so we just won't bring up topics like depression or anxiety, but, you know, we talk a lot about physical health usually in the workplace, and a lot of employers really make that a priority to talk about your physical health, but we really don't touch the topic of mental health. I think the stigma's still there, and I think people are afraid that, you know, to bring up the subject.
3: It's like it's taboo, isn't it? Because I guess it's because it's associated with mental health. It's we don't want to act like we think somebody's got a a mental health problem. And yet, you know, they might have depression. They might they might it might even be, you know, disable them to a degree and they might not be able to perform their work. And if we can't talk about it, it seems like we're only going to be making the condition worse.
8: That's just it, and I think so many you know, employers are willing to talk if somebody had a physical health problem like diabetes, it wouldn't be a big issue that the, if the employer knew about it, they'd certainly want to do everything they could to help somebody manage that, but somebody who has depression, I think a lot of employees are afraid to, to bring up the subject first, but a lot of managers and business leaders aren't talking about it either. So it just gets swept under the rug, but like the elephant in the room, you right. know, that you have all these um, employees who are probably dealing with mental health issues and yet nobody's talking about it, nobody's addressing it and it just goes unaddressed and untreated, unfortunately. In
3: in your article in Forbes, um, you cite uh, a study from the Center for Prevention and Health Services that estimates that mental illness and substance abuse costs employers between $79 and $105 billion annually in indirect costs. That's crazy.
8: Isn't it? And I think, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that when you have employees who are struggling, that often they're not showing up to work. They're using sick days because they're too depressed to get out of bed or they're just too stressed out and worried that they can't perform their job. But then even when they show up, they're not very really productive because they've got so much other stuff going on and their emotions are, are not where they need to be in order to perform. They're not able to concentrate on their work. And so it's just is sort of this trickle-down effect where it's really affecting um, how much you know employers have to spend on on people, but
3: yet again, it's just not talked about. No, no, it's uh, no. You're just just keep working. Everybody, don't don't look at the elephant. Keep moving. Keep right. moving. You in your article, you you have um, some great solutions, and I wanted to run through. Uh, Some of these and, and, you know, give us some ideas of what we can be doing either as an employer or as an employee to create a healthier kind of mental health workplace. The first one you talk about is to create the environment. What what how what can employers do and what can employees do to make sure that we have a healthier kind of mental health environment?
8: I think that one of the simplest things is to just talk about a work-life balance. Too often, I think there's the pressure to work 80 hours a week or to to always be productive and to bring your work home with you, and that's sort of encouraged. Well, the more people work and the less time they have to do stuff to relieve their stress, the worse they're going to be. So I think it's important for managers to set some healthy boundaries, let people go on vacation and, and don't email them while they're gone, or to say, you know, that... It's okay to go home on Friday and not take homework, take your work home with you.
3: Yeah, you, really, tear, you have to tear down that because there's that hidden wall, right? Where everyone wants to keep performing because everyone is performing,
8: right? And so to just let people know it's okay to relax, (laughs) you know, unplug and to get away from it sometimes, too. And then, you know, another simple thing that um, bosses can do is let employees have time to socialize, whether, you know, you give them a, a space where they can enjoy lunch together or you let them stand around the water cooler and talk. Just having that break during the day can really give people a mental health break, too.
3: Yeah, and I mean, and also it sounds like I mean it gets to help everybody vent kind of with each other, but it also gives you information and data about what's, what others are going through. Because what I, I almost don't fear in my business, I don't fear people talking too much. I fear the one that's locked away in his room with the door shut, his office closed away, and we don't know what's going on.
8: Yeah, I think, you know, and I think that's exactly it, that those are the people that, um, you know, bosses should be more worried about than the people that, you know, don't know how to reduce their stress or aren't willing to open up and talk that, you know, they may be struggling with a lot of things.
3: Mm. And again, it's just weird. I have a really great relationship here um, at BYU Broadcasting with the HR department. I think part of it's because of my background in, you know, training and coaching relationships. So we end up talking a lot, but... I mean it would be really neat I guess if HR was that connected to everybody it doesn't have to just be HR but if the managers were connected and everyone was as you know I don't know into each other as maybe we need to be we're some of us are so siloed away in our own little you know incubator
8: that's just it. I think a lot of people have worked alongside their coworkers for ten or twenty years and yet they really know nothing about these people. Oh, it's so <laughs> it's sad. amazing how disconnected we can be to the to the people that we share, you know, so many hours of our lives with.
3: That's right. And and awards and recognitions and you've you know, you're grinding out these projects and then next thing you know, you find out that, oh, they're married? Hmm. I didn't even know that. <laughs> That right. is After so. Ten
8: years of working with somebody, you think, oh, you know, I had no idea. You're going through
3: a divorce. I didn't even know you were married. Right. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Amy Morin, um, who wrote a wonderful article for Forbes, and you can go to her website, amy morin ls Amy lcsw. dot com to get more information on her great work and her writings. There, we'll take a break. Come back continue the discussion, give you more solutions about how you can build a stronger uh, mental health environment in your workplace. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. back friends to the matt townsend show it's been estimated to be about an 80 to 100 billion dollar problem that is uh mental illness and substance abuse and and the impact it has on employers from 80 to 100 billion in indirect costs like absenteeism decreased productivity increased health health care costs so folks mental health issues um they impact the the job um they impact your job place. They also impact you. And if we don't have a kind of an open dialogue an open discussion about mental health, then all of a sudden we get a, a story of somebody that's not quite healthy mentally, pulls a gun, and all of a sudden you have one of the tragedies that we hear about so often um, in workplace. So we've asked um, a psychologist, Amy Morin, who's an LCSW and is uh, author of a wonderful article, How to Foster Good Mental Health in the Workplace. That was published at Forbes.com, and she's got three ways that employers can promote good mental health in the workplace, and because a lot of you are the employers or are um, have the ability to influence your employers, we wanted to give you those tools. So far, she's taught us to create a healthy environment and given us some skills on work-life balance and allowing vacations and space for people to talk. But um, also, Amy, you've also talked about helping workers identify the risks of mental health problems in their in their workplace. First of all, welcome back. Thank you. And what do you think? How do we how, how do we identify the risks? What are the risks?
8: Well, you know, um, for a lot of people, it's just the stress in general. When people are stressed out, that you know, they're more apt to get. Um, more prone to developing mental health problems. And so sometimes it's a matter of just teaching people about stress and, and having a healthy lifestyle outside of work too can make a big difference. And the statistics are something like one in four people probably have a diagnosable mental illness, yet the vast majority of them don't even know it. And so sometimes it's just a matter of giving people education, whether there's you know plenty of online screening tools that people can use and bosses can facilitate that let people take these screenings confidentially that would tell them hey you're at risk of depression maybe you should talk to your doctor or maybe you should contact a mental health professional and sometimes you know if a boss can have a um, mental health professional come into the office and just educate people that can make a big difference just to give people an idea of what a mental health problem looks like because the truth is because it's never talked about a lot of people just don't know what are the warning signs and what should i be on the lookout for
3: oh it's so true and then Then they're like, Julie's acting weird. (laughs) And then we just we talk about Julie, but we don't know the fact that Julie's depressed and has been and has been battling it for a year. And, you know, it's impacting everyone. It's so it's so strange how we work. We do it with exercise like we'll have, you know, you can see in a business environment where someone will come in and have yoga classes at lunch, but we won't bring on a mental health expert.
8: Right. Right. Yeah, how many businesses do you know? You have a weight loss challenge, and everybody's talking about how to be physically healthy, and who's working out, and who's losing weight, and that sort of stuff. And then, but nobody's talking about you know your depression, your anxiety, your mm-hmm. PTSD, those sorts of things, and, and it's just not it's just swept under the rug, unfortunately.
3: Is it? Um, I mean, and this isn't a mental health issue, but even even um, attention deficit disorder and uh, ADHD, and I and I look at that and I think. Some people don't understand why this guy has five hundred thousand emails and he loves it. And it might right. be because his brain is working perfectly for it and others are overwhelmed with two. It's just there everyone just has a different ability, don't we? We just have a different code and we need to be willing to figure it out.
8: Yeah, because I think too often we place blame, you know, if somebody's struggling or they're stressed out we think oh they just can't handle it well maybe that person has an anxiety issue and if they just got some treatment that could really make a difference yeah
3: i mean we just had i just had a someone close to me pass away and it was it was healthy it was good they were suffering from alzheimer's and and yet it's it's interesting i mean death is a big deal and it's a it's it takes time to process it and and get through it and i And I think, ah, but do you even want to bring it up at work? Because I don't want a lot of people saying stuff. I don't know. But sometimes we hide it ourselves, right? It might not even be that the company's not bringing it in. It's just me personally. I don't want to go there.
8: Right. I think it's all about finding that balance because I think for a lot of us, it's not discussed. And maybe you don't want somebody, you know, during your lunch break to say, hey, sorry to hear about your loss because it brings too much up and you want to separate work and home to an extent. But to know, well, what can you do and how can you stay healthy or how can you educate your employees about what do you do? Death is something that everybody is going to unfortunately deal with at one time or another. So how do you support employees who maybe have to, you know, take time off to go to a funeral or who are actively grieving a loss? Um, and just, you know, letting people know how can you help somebody and what's helpful and what's not? Because a lot of us don't know. Do you, do you say something to somebody or do you not? And and what do you say and how do you say it? And there's a lot of research about just, you know, showing some compassion and how to do that and how it can really go a long ways when you maybe send flowers to somebody who's who's grieving or just to show that you care can really be helpful. Mm,
3: so helpful. And that is your third point in your article in Forbes, Forbes.com is assist employees in addressing the issues the mental health issues. And that could be, I guess, formal, right? You know, you know, coming in and bring them into your office and helping them that way. I, and then I guess some of it's just informal, I guess, just, you know, by the water cooler.
8: Right. I think just teaching, you know, if an um, employer can teach managers just what to be on the lookout for and what sorts of behaviors, to, you know, may indicate somebody's struggling and then how to address it. And then more formally to have some policies. A lot of times people who have a mental health issue they don't go to therapy because most therapist offices are open during daytime hours. Right. And say, well, I can't ask my boss to get out of work early every Thursday to go to therapy, so they just don't ever get treatment. But if employers had policies that would say, hey, you know, if therapy once a week is going to help you stay employed here, by all means, we'll make sure it happens. And just being flexible about that stuff can really go a long way.
3: I have seen that with uh, marriage counseling, too, where um, the person couldn't get out of work to go... Work on their marriage. So instead, they never got the help. And instead, it took them away from work and caused, I mean, there was a divorce and then now we had to co parent. And it really ended up destroying the guy's workplace anyway.
8: Yeah. And it's such a, you know, ridiculous concept to think, well, if you just let that person have the time off that they needed when they needed it, you could prevent a lot of problems that way. But I think that's a huge barrier. Is a lot of people don't. Just to say I can't get out of work earlier. I can't go during work hours. Just not an option for me.
3: What do you What do you say, Amy, to um, the person? And and I just had this happen recently with somebody where the person just doesn't get anxiety. They just don't get it. It's just it's just weak. I mean, it's just an ex- everybody feels anxious once in a while. You just have to you just have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just get to work. What do you say to that person? How do you yeah. approach that person in your workplace that just doesn't get it?
8: Right, because I hear that with depression a lot, too, that yeah. you, know, if you just snap out of it. I think it's a matter of just educating the person that, you know, if this person could knock it off, trust me, they would. And to give them some information, just like diabetes, you don't talk yourself out of being diabetic, that doesn't happen, or um, that it is a real medical condition, and that it needs treatment and a, and a proper diagnosis and that sort of thing, and that um, with help, people can definitely get better, but that, you know, it, minimizing it or ignoring it isn't going to make it go away. Hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's amazing that we've, we're actually com- we're coming very far, right? I mean, we're, it's, we're, we're making some great strides and at least talking about it a lot more, and yet for many, it's just, it's not even on the radar as an option like i I had a guy once tell me he's too busy to be depressed,
7: yeah,
3: and I thought what I mean if you're depressed you're you're still depressed, and you can be busy too, but
8: yeah, it's amazing that we still have these sorts of stigmas and stereotypes and thinking that it's somehow your fault if you have a mental illness that it has to do with you know you being a, a weak and that you can't handle you know everyday problems in life. It's unfortunate
3: as a as a counselor um and we can kind of wrap up on that on this. What is there hope? I mean, if I'm somebody that has anxiety or depression and I, uh, I don't want to I don't want to make that my identity and I'm trying to hide it. Um, is there hope if I really go talk to people and bring it out and make it a little more open? How first how do I do that if I'm suffering from it? And and what really does my outcome look like?
8: You know, I think it's important to remember that, again, probably for every 4 coworkers you look at, one other person's also experiencing similar symptoms, and so I think to be able to go to HR and say, hey, I'm having some of these problems, and, um, and I think it would be helpful for me to get treatment, and this is what I would need from you. I think that can really go a long way when you bring it up first. If your boss isn't bringing it up, if you're the one willing to bring it up, I think that that sometimes can help break the ice. And then... Treatment's really effective. Sometimes medication is helpful. Sometimes therapy is helpful. Sometimes a combination of both. But to at least explore your treatment options rather than ignore it, it can go a long way towards feeling better. And then when you feel better, you know, the world just looks much brighter once you get your symptoms under control. And they're very treatable.
3: Oh, I mean, that's the hope, right? And and that, I mean, it's the reality. And, and,
8: right.
3: And, and to not have to do it quietly alone and and just kind of your way through it. I mean, sometimes that'll still be part of it, but to also maybe build a little team around you and know that you've got someone with your back at work, that could relieve a lot of stress.
8: Yeah, and I think if you are the first one to open up and tell some people, I think more than likely than not, people will come to you and open up and let you know, hey, I've also struggled with depression. I just didn't want to say anything, or I've been having similar problems. And or I know my spouse is going through the same thing. You know, almost everybody either has a mental illness or has had one, or you at least know somebody yeah. who does.
3: it's in everyone's life, isn't it, somewhere?
8: Right.
3: Man, yes. powerful stuff. Amy, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work there. Um, at, uh, and go, everybody, go check out the website, com. and uh, you can also go just look her up on Forbes. She's doing a lot of writing there as well. Also, the author, by the way, of the book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, a great resource for all of us. I appreciate that, Amy Moran. And, and uh, we're going to take a break, folks, and continue the show. We got uh, we got our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation that'll be with us in just a few minutes. Find out what's going up on coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Plus, we'll do um, t- you know Townsend's Heroes at the end of the show, and we we'll give you a few more updates on some helps for those criminals out there that need just a little guidance so that they can be the best they can be. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Imagine Dragons for you. It's Where My Demons Hide. It's where my demon side. Speaking of demons, little segue for you. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation today. It's Spencer Linton and uh, Brian Logan is in. That's in the house. Hello, gentlemen.
7: Nope, it's just me today.
3: Oh, Brian, did they not bring Spence down? Uh,
7: he's waxing. I don't know where he's no, at. he's
3: coming. I just saw him running with a suit, but he might be going to the prom. <laughs>
7: Uh, no, I told him that I would just take it. Uh, you know, you could, from here, and he could have the rest of the morning rest off, rest
3: the day off. Yeah,
7: yeah. He has, he has he has some other things that he has to do later on. So I'm he's like, a hey, big man, deal. It's, it's a oh, he is. I'm I'm like, dude. You know, let me let me do some <laughs> service. I'm trying to be more Christ-like. <laughs> you and, are, and let me let me take on the responsibilities of hosting. You know, you go <laughs> rest and you know rest your eyes, get your beauty sleep because you're gonna be on TV later on. Yeah, I get the get me. rid of
3: those bags under his eyes.
7: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's makeup for that, but you yeah. know, there's nothing like mental and spiritual rest. Wow, know, so man, that's that's what I was trying. Brian,
3: to Brian, will you fill in on my show when I need somebody?
7: Uh Because yeah.
3: what yeah. are you doing tomorrow and Monday?
7: Tomorrow. Because you I'm, just I'm brought up. To, I'm, I'm doing it again tomorrow. You brought I'm up mental to health. You
3: brought up spirituality. You just pretty much nailed my whole. That's, My whole show.
7: That, yeah, see, I don't even have to go to school for that. I you,
3: know? <laughs> no, you don't. You're so dang good. <laughs> hey, did you hear? Okay, i I'm glad. It, it, when just let me know if Spence gets there. Um, did you hear about uh, what's his name, Andre Drummond, last night? Uh no. Okay, so he's he plays for the he plays for Detroit, the Pistons. Mm. He he missed. You won't believe this. He missed 23 free throws. He broke the record for missing. So many free throws. He had 36 attempts in the game, and he missed uh, 23 of them. He hit 13.
4: Wait, Matt, what was DeAndre Jordan's? Well, didn't he hold the previous record?
3: Hold on. I'm trying to see if he, he was held mentioned. he hold the
7: record and then broke it?
3: No. So DeAndre Jordan, uh, yeah, he's not in this. Why isn't he in there? Because he broke the record, but whose record was it? It's not saying in this article. 13
4: for 36. 13.
3: Yeah. Can you believe that? I mean, honestly, saying earlier, my mom, <laughs> who's seventy three, could hit thirteen free throws.
4: Pretty much. Your mom. But on an NBA stage
3: I mean, you're a pro, dude. His, yeah, his pay for it, His man. shooting percentage thirty six percent.
4: Well, teams that play against the Clippers in the playoffs, notably the San Antonio Spurs because they're smart, they fouled DeAndre Jordan late in a close game on that's purpose right. because he'll miss a lot of free that's throws. Right. It's brilliant.
3: That's right. They they yeah. fouled this they fouled um, they Drummond, they fouled Drummond um, 3 times in 9 seconds. Wow. And he that's I think like I think he missed pretty take. much all of them.
7: What was it called the Shaq attack?
3: The Shaq Hack-a-Shaq. Hack-a-Shaq. Yeah, that's, what it was. that's exactly what it was. That's, yeah,
7: that's man. I I, I don't know. I, as a professional athlete, I take a little bit more pride. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that. Oh, no, yeah. You, know, you got to hit it. sports. is not hard. It, you know, it's not, you know, brutal on your body and you want to spend time with your family. You got to do other things. Right? right. But if if that's what I get paid to do, I get paid millions of dollars to play a sport. Then, you know, I am going to make sure that. Uh, the team is getting their money's worth.
3: Because. You don't want to be the one that they're fouling. It's like we were saying earlier. It's it's where everybody on the field starts moving in because you're up to bat. Yeah, you don't want people. <laughs> you don't want people. You know, bring it in, bring it in easy out. You don't want that.
7: It's just like you know, people that have you know regular jobs. You know, it's like, hey, I need to do this project. You know, spend ah. you got you got to go and spend you know hours upon hours of research. You know, for <laughs> for your job. But you, it's like, hey, I just need you to hit some free throws. That's so right. go to the gym and spend hours upon hours trying to make what, your free throws.
3: What if what if at your job, just the average you know job, turning in a report or doing sales? What if you really only could hit thirty percent of whatever you were supposed to do? <laughs> Like, yeah, I'd really like to turn in all my reports, but I've only been able to turn in a third of them.
7: Yeah, a third of them. What if you only turned in, like, a third of a third of the
3: reports? You get fired. Fired!
7: You turn in a third of the reports, but then, like, the actual reports, it's just a third of it.
3: It's it's time to fire you. Except Drummond (laughs) must do something else. He must just be really good under the basket.
7: Maybe he's got
3: 500 rebounds. I don't know.
7: Yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure either. Spencer hey, would know that question.
3: did you hear... Uh, Spencer knows everything. Did you hear... He um, oh he's like my Google. Goodness. Oh he's a like walking Google.
4: By the way, I just walked through a high school choir.
3: Oh, I saw you walk by. Is that where you went?
4: Well, I, I walked through Studio A, and I'm like, oh, there are like 100 choir students in here.
3: Or are they They all, looked there, all stared at
4: me awkwardly, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep on walking.
3: Did they all gasp like... <gasps> Oh my heavens! That's no, they Spencer. Don't, are
4: you kidding me? They don't know who I am. They asked me to join.
3: Are you they don't kidding? Know who I am. They know my voice. Everybody knows who you are, Spencer. Come on! No, I'm yes, serious. Everybody. Everybody You're that guy that. that's on that show on he that is, one channel.
7: He is that guy.
3: <laughs> hey, did you hear about the Bills' coach? They're hiring a female coach for football.
4: Yeah, I did. First yep. ever full-time position coach. Oh, sorry, the Bills, Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills. That's yes. cool. For special teams, or something?
3: Catherine Smith is added to the special teams staff as the, the it was a really interesting title of her job. It's like it's oh uh, it's not why is it not there? but it's um she's on the special team's team, but she's in charge of like quality assurance, so she's I guess checking their numbers to make sure
7: Wait, so she's not coaching
3: Well, she's on the coaching team, yes
7: she's coaching she's coaching, but she's not she's at the staff, but she's not coaching
3: no she she's a coach. She's in the well, coaching how do you, team.
7: How do you coach quality assurance?
3: Quality assurance—that's the job of every coach. Come on, Brian. Quality, you, play football. Well,
7: you can't coach. You can't coach that. Or, you can't quali-
3: You you are quality. You don't coach like, that.
7: Yeah, yeah. It's just like I, I can't coach you how to be six foot five. You know. You just oh, offer. can't you? Mm-mm. Are
3: you making fun of my height?
7: No, not, I That's your own insecurities, man. Brian. If, if you are, you know.
3: That's like so rude.
7: You, if the shoe fits.
3: <laughs> That's crazy. Hey, are you guys are you doing the show today? We are doing the show. You got Brian on board, which means and Brian, I don't know if you heard him earlier Spence, he he sound he sounded like a preacher.
4: Oh, uh, Brian always sounds like a preacher, especially when you watch this show.
3: I mean, he's he's getting it. He's getting the vibe, the BYU vibe.
7: Yeah, I've already gotten it. <laughs> you know. I think you you are just starting to understand me. No, I'm just starting
3: to appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Yeah, it's a difference. <laughs> totally different. What uh what's on the show today, gentlemen?
7: Well,
4: thanks to Quincy Lewis, our good friend, assistant basketball coach for BYU yesterday, mm-hmm. he helped us paint the importance of the two approaching games for BYU men's basketball in terms of big picture this season. And we thought, wait, games at LMU and at Pepperdine. What's he getting at? Yeah. Well the thing is if BYU can win, that's a big if, they can win these two road games and end this stretch of forty nine days where they've only played three home games on an upswing. Yeah. Then they set themselves up nicely. We'll talk about what that specifically means. What does he mean by it sets we set ourselves up nicely. Nicely for what?
3: Yeah, what's gonna happen? Mm.
4: Plus, new new receivers coach Ben Cahoon joins the program. Cool. I think he's been official all of, like, what, 23 hours and some odd minutes. Mm-hmm. So he will uh, give his first big-time media interview today with us on BYU Sports Nation. We have Mackenzie Pulse for BYU women's basketball. And the new father, former NFL and BYU linebacker David Nixon, just had a second baby boy, but he's taken time out of his busy schedule to discuss the BYU football coaching staff with us.
3: Cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, ask Ben Cahoon. I'm pretty sure we just interviewed Ben Cahoon's mother and father, uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law, on my show the other day. Happens to be the governor of the state of Utah.
4: Hmm. Did you know that? Uh, no, really. Ask ask
3: uh, ask brother Cahoon about Connections. that.
7: Connections. Hmm. Ask
3: him. Just see just see if you can get some tickets to like the governor's ball or something.
7: Okay. Oh yeah, I definitely won. I I yes. And yes. A, you know what
3: else? So you ask him. I, I just saw. Him, I just met him the other day. Ask him if he could take care of one of my traffic tickets.
4: <laughs>
3: Is that all right? We got. I mean, I've got a couple.
4: Let's see what I can do.
3: That's not even my fault. Well, guys, it's going to be a good show. I can already tell. And you got Brian Logan um, waxed and ready. So it's been too long. Knock them dead, kids. Have a great it. one. You got it. Remember who you are, and Always. watch out for those choir kids. They'll get you.
4: Goodbye.
3: <laughs> See you, Bane. Good stuff. We'll Go take down, a man. break. Oh, no, we're not taking a break. We gotta just ride this pony home. Hey, uh, this is it's it's always fun to hear what's going on on their show. They that's it's a great show, folks. So at the top of the hour, if you'll just sit through the remaining six minutes with me, then listen to a commercial or two, then you're there. You're you're right there, locked and loaded for BYU Sports Nation a great tool and resource for all your BYU sports needs. Hey, um got to tell you, it is, remember, hugging day. So before we leave you, make sure you get out there and hug somebody. Can I just suggest maybe at work, don't be hugging anybody. Don't hug anybody at work. I mean, you know, you can be nice, cordial, but you don't need to be going to the hug. Hey, uh, here's a couple of other stories I wanted to get to. One is a train leaves Oklahoma intersection you know, you ever just been sitting there at an intersection and a train pulls up and ah, blasted, you know, you'll just sit there a little bit, just sit there for a day. Well, a train outside of Tulsa has been blocking an intersection for the better part of a month. <laughs> I can still imagine going up and knocking on Ben's window as he's waiting for the train <laughs> a month later. Hey, Ben, you're going to have to pull your car out, man. This train's not moving. Sorry, pal. The train has been parked on the tracks for one month, blocking the intersection, and the crossing signal has been ringing ever since. It's annoying, yeah, he says, when you come out and sit on the porch or something like that, said William Young, who lives just across the street of the intersection. Young said he's not sure why the train has been parked here, but he's ready to see it go. I don't know why they're doing that, Young said, unless they're working on the tracks somewhere, you know, which would make sense for, I don't know a day maybe two but a month an operator um it's uh, by the way it's union pacific apparently is the train operator and an operator who answered the phone called us back within 10 minutes and said the problem was being worked on yeah we're on we're we're working on that right now but what nobody actually told him what the problem was or why the union pacific let the intersection be blocked Anyway, they said call public relations; they'll take care of that. Wow, uh, another story about a man buries his truck to hide it and to run um, uh, from a hit and run. You know, you go get involved in a hit and run accident. What you're gonna do is you're gonna take your car and you're gonna the car that was involved in the hit and run. By the way, it, it ended up in the death of a pedestrian. That's why this guy went to this these lengths. Palmer Police uh, Lieutenant Christopher Burns said that the local resident, Christopher Lemmick Jr., will be charged with homicide by a motor vehicle, leaving the scene of an accident involving death and the negligent operation of a motor vehicle. He said the police officers found that this guy had destroyed the truck. He buried it in his backyard. He confessed to the police that the day after the incident... He used an excavator to dig a hole in his backyard, dropped the 1996 Chevy C2500 into the hole, crushed it with the bucket from the excavator, and then filled it back in. He hid the evidence in his backyard. Wow. I mean, that's that's a lot of work. Sad. Tragic death, too, um, as a result. Jamie Foxx is our hero of the day. As you know, we like to end the show... Talking about a hero story, somebody that stepped out and made a difference. Well, the actor, Jamie Foxx, from the movie—you uh, may have seen him in um, Django, is that how you say it? That's actually a pretty intense movie. Jamie Foxx pulled a motorist from a wreckage out of his burning pickup truck and he after he crashed outside of the Oscar winner's mansion. So luckily he crashed right in front of Foxx's house. Brett Kyle's vehicle flipped over several times after it hit a drainage pipe on Portrero Road on Monday night. The actor heard the explosion, rushed to the rescue, pulled Kyle out of the truck before it was engulfed in flames. Speaking to CBS Los Angeles, Fox said, I don't look at it as heroic. I just look at it as, you know, you just had to do something and it all worked out. The driver is suspected of being drunk. Um, and, uh, as he said, as I'm getting out, I said, you've got to help me to get out because I don't want you to leave. I don't want to leave you. I said, you've got angels around you. Fox helped by another passerby used a pair of scissors to release Kyle from his seatbelt. The man's father, Brad Kyle was emotional when he thanked Fox. Kyle's father, um, basically ended up showing up on the scene and then was holding back tears. He says, it doesn't matter to me who it was. Uh, what they do for a living or whatever. Just the idea of having somebody that would go in and do that and risk so much I can't fathom. Anyway, pretty cool story. Jamie Foxx, you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And again, I think that father made a good point. When it comes down to it, we're all heroes. It doesn't matter who we are or what we do. We can all step up and be there for the people that need us to be there. And that's the goal of this show, hopefully to motivate you to do that. But give you the tools and the information you need If you want to get any of our last or latest episodes or any episodes that you've missed, all you got to do is download the new BYU Radio app for Android. You can download it for um, your your, uh, Apple phones as well. And guess what, folks? You've got the show. You can go look up any of our 600 plus, 700 shows. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, folks. More tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. And uh, we'll be back. Talk again tomorrow.